Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, welcome to this June 5th edition of the Completely Unnecessary Podcast. Welcome, man. Huh? Welcome, man. What does that mean? I don't know. I think, I think that's how you say welcome in German. Oh. Speaking of German, we're going to be talking about Battlefield 5 in a bit, but alongside Ian Ferguson on that country. And um, yeah, kind of, kind of a, not sluggy, you're sick, I'm, I'm sort of... I'm, I'm coming up. There's off. a fog, yeah, just... there's like a fog in front of me right now. In terms of, of stuff going on that I'm trying to like pierce through. But the game room is, is getting up to speed. Oh, we're we talking about Fortnite coming to Switch. We're talking about Battlefield 5. And NWC NES found. Retro style show with AJ Styles. The Atari Box Indiegogo launched. Oof. Oof. Uh, Pokemon stuff. Q&A. Patreon poll topics since we skipped it last time by accident. Uh, Ian, you're sick. I mean, I got sick on Thursday. I think I'm coming around on it, but uh, yeah, you know, I'm a little, a little, a little clumped. Yeah, you got you got like a pneumonia. A little, no. what they call it walking pneumonia. Are you gonna get me sick? Huh? You gonna get me sick? I gotta edit this thing. You know, no, you can go I'm, home and sleep. I gotta edit it after I'm, you leave. I'm, I'm so fairly I, well. I can't get sick. I'm fairly. I get sick. The money train ends. Okay. Fairly so, well beyond contagious. Okay. You gotta get one of those masks that the, the old people wear at the Japanese wrestling events to cover. You know, so okay. You gotta get one of those for the podcast. <laughs> little masks like you're like you're doing woodwork um what was i gonna say uh real quick uh the passing of ted dabney who's a name that you should know more that even i can say i don't know a huge amount about the guy besides being the co-founder of atari along with nolan bushnell he helped get pong going uh and without pong you would have no atari um so uh he passed away i think it was 81 I guess he was a private guy. He, unlike Nolan Bushnell, he didn't do a lot of these events. He didn't go out. He just sort of enjoyed his time away from the limelight. Uh, it's sort of a removed time when you think about that sort of the pioneers of video games where uh, they're they're not really talked about that much. They're forgotten, uh, you know, and it's it's a it's a shame. But, you know, it is what it is. These people looked at it, you know, what happened 50 years ago. It was 50 years ago almost. And, you know, there's there, it's a different industry entirely, so they don't stick around. You know, why would they? It's almost like Ford with the Model T, and then why would he stick around to like the late 60s with the Mustang? It's like a totally different. How do you understand what, what you've grown, what you've helped start? It's grown to something entirely different. Right. When you're there for the genesis of something, it doesn't, you're not necessarily, doesn't mean that you're married to that for the rest of your career, even if that's your industry. Yeah. Like, I mean, we talk about, you know, not as as much. It was great that was not wasn't great that Ralph Bear passed away. But when he passed away, it was great that everyone celebrated Ralph Bear's life. But before that, it's like, who is this guy? You know, we don't hear about him. He's just a guy that helped us get where we are today. And you know, they're just quietly living their lives, just enjoying peace and quiet. 
And that's what I guess what happened with Ted Dabney since I haven't heard his name come up in forever. Um, I haven't even heard him going into conventions the past 10 years or so. Um, so, I'm just, you know, you can go look up the New York Times has a nice article, nice obituary about him, uh, about what he, what he went through. He was in the Marines in, in the 50s. Um, he, he met uh, Nolan Bushnell, it looks like. Uh, and then, you know, let's like, all right, let's, let's start this little Atari thing. Let's, let's, let's get it going. First called, I can't even pronounce how, I don't know, Sizzigy? Sizzigy. 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 Which the name was taken and then they switched to Atari. That was the best. First of all, the fact that two people thought of the name of Sizzigy, S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y as the name of a company is insane. But thank God that was not the name of Atari. Thank God it was actually Atari. <laughs> Much better name. And then, you know, they did computer space together based on Space War, which was, uh, uh, you know, that, that huge mainframe game. Yes. The two little good things shooting at each other. And, and, and it's basically the same exact game, just in the arcade. I've seen computer spaces in person. They're amazing. Uh, they're With amazing. fiberglass bodies. But it's all, it's all um, what is it called? It's all an- analog logic. Is that, is, is that what it's called? I forget. It's hard. Um, hard it's, it's, it's hardwired. Yeah. There's no ROM chips. It's amazing. I, I saw one opened up. And I still couldn't understand what was going on looking at it. You're just like, what is this? Just things going all over the place. And you're like, there's no ROM board, like traditional right. game ROM board. Um, and then, of course, they do Pong. And then everything takes off from there with the 70s, you know, tons of Pong clones. And, and the Odyssey, Ralph Bear's Odyssey, which, you know, there's the semi-controversy there about who got the ideas from what. Did <laughs> did did Atari take some ideas from Ralph? Yeah, probably. But you know that was what was going on in the early seventies. But um, uh, yeah, computer space uh, didn't do well, but obviously Pong was a massive success. And there you go. Then they're off and running with Atari, and then then you get the seventy seven with the VCS, and the rest is history uh, there. So thanks to uh, uh, Mr. Dabney for helping out there with uh, Bushnell. I, th- I like to think that that Dabney was probably like the more grounded of the two. When Bushnell was like going out from the hot tub, Dabney was like, "All right, let's let's get back to basics." Well, <laughs> it, it was quoted in this one article is is Bushnell saying that you know Dabney was the was the quieter, kinder, you know, very gentler, more gentle of the two of them. So, are you the Dabney to my Bushnell? Is that what this is? I think we're both kind of uh, sort of wiry at times, and yeah, we get electric, perhaps. Perhaps is we don't have. We need a Dabney. Is that what we need a Dabney. <laughs> we need a quieter Dabney. That's Norm. <laughs> Norm, Norm would certainly be a Dabney in any situation. Chris Kohler is actually uh, quoted in this article. We cannot get away from Chris Kohler. I thought this would be the one podcast we get away from Chris Kohler. <laughs> you know, get the Chris Kohler mentioned out of the way. He's he's quoted in this article on the New York Times obituary. Atari was fundamentally a hardware company, said Chris Kohler. Arcade machines still look like that now, and that was Ted. There you go. Here's to you, Mr. Dabney. Uh, God bless you. Thanks for helping get this little video game stuff started. Uh, speaking of uh, video games, uh, um, the, the, the certain Super Nintendo guidebook, two thirds of the reviews are written. Oh, that's a, that's a pretty good mark. I'm way behind my rating, by the way. <laughs> I'm hoping to get up to my. I think I have a. I think I have a hundred left to write. How many have you done? Twenty or so. So I'm behind. Uh, I'm behind there. But uh, I got to get through this month. And the other, and there's nine writers on this project, so everyone else is picking up the slack, obviously, and they're doing a great great work. Uh, but I'm hoping to get through the rest of this month's going to be focusing on the on the 10th anniversary Pat the NES Punk video because that's going to hopefully come out when it's supposed to come out later in the month 
which will be at too many games. That's right, June twenty second. June twenty second to June twenty fourth. We have um we have our live CU podcast. Could be just a Q and A. We'll see how we feel. That's three p.m. that Friday, the twenty second. Then the tenth anniversary Pat the NES Punk panel. It's going to be June twenty fourth. I think it's at eleven a.m. That's going to be hot. That's going to be you know I might be throwing out just like my first panel throwing out random uh my first panel at, at the screw attack game convention 2010 i somehow found new old stock nintendo power silver pins oh yeah and i, I told you that yeah i do and i threw them all out to the crowd those are probably worth a ton of money now eight years <laughs> later they were in the sealed bags yeah, of like i remember 50 that I, just, I threw them all out to the crowd man i put way too much effort into my panels maybe billy and jay were right about that uh but Come on out to Too Many Games. It's outside of, uh, it's, was it uh, Oaks, Pennsylvania? It's about 45 Oaks. minutes outside of Philly. Maybe uh, if you stick around, maybe I'll buy you a Friendly's ice cream cone or, or peanut butter cup Sunday, and it'll be fun. Anything else going on in this uh, See You Podcast intro here? Anything we want to talk about? Nothing? Yeah. I had a really good shaved ice yesterday and some great tacos down in Tijuana. You know, can help you with that shaved ice? Dollar Shave Club. No, oh, Jesus H. That. Christ. <laughs> DollarShaveClub.com slash See You Shave. Check it out. Um, you, is, 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 that, is that safe to go to Tijuana? Is it better than what it used to be? I've never had any problems in Tijuana. Well, no one wants to kidnap you. That's probably why. You're not really worth that much, probably. Maybe. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> they'll, they'll ask me for like some Sega CD games to trade in for, for your rescue operation. <laughs> I'm, I'm not having them call you. No? <laughs> no. You don't think I'd bail you out, Ian? Come on. I'd call Vonnie. Call Vonnie? She'd call me. I call someone to help out. We get the little SEAL Team Six action. Bonnie has, you know, does she have? Does she, does she have a particular set of she skills. Has family, particular uh, set of skills. Uh, she... Yeah, uh, the Spanish language. Oh, you don't think they have a translator? The kidnappers. <laughs> I don't think the FBI does. Ian, All right, fine, don't call me. You know, fine. You get kidnapped in, in El Salvador. Don't call Pat. I'll call family. All right, that's fine. I'm insulted. Um, Ian, what's going on with this Mega Man Eleven thing? Uh, so Capcom announced Mega Man 11 and it's coming out on October 2nd for PC, PS4, Xbox One, and Switch. And DOS. I think it looks fantastic. If only we were getting a DOS port of Mega Man uh, 11. I, I, I had the Mega Man DOS game. It's yeah, awful. Yeah, it was uh, Mega Man 7, I think. Was it 7? No. It was a, there was like an awful re- version of 2, then they did a 3, I think, or 1 and 3. They did something like that. Okay. I know I played a they might, PC might have done a version Man, one, but yeah. I thought the original okay. awful ones. But anyway, um, this is not that one. So it's... 3D graphics, it's going to be 2D side-scrolling, it's going to go, it's going to be classic Mega Man style and play. Um, it's interesting in that it's going to have a bunch of different difficulty levels and a new uh, system called the uh, Double Gear System. And it's, it seems unique because it's going to, um, it's trying to capture a bunch of different audiences and it looks like it might actually work. It looks like it's actually actively trying to get players like you who maybe have never enjoyed a Mega Man game before. Uh, I've enjoyed them when I stopped playing them. They were great. Yeah. I'm kidding. No. So <laughs> no, to, to be honest though, I really love the, the art aesthetic that the 2.5 D I think works for Mega Man. And I'm kind of surprised I never thought about this direction before with this. It looks really sharp. Oh, they have, they used it a lot in, um, they use it a lot in the X series. Oh, in the uh, X series. Yeah, to really no, no good, no good end. But this looks great. Really? 
Yeah. It didn't come out that well? No. No, 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 no. It did not look great at all. Not in the PlayStation ones, even? No. PS2? But this looks nice. The cartoon and graphics look good. Um, but they're adding this system called Double Gear, which seems like a simple enough system. However, people who have issues with the difficulty level of Mega Man games or the seeming unfairness of Mega Man games will be able to make a lot of use out of this. So there's two power-ups that this introduces. One is the slowing of time, and the other is the um, increasing of power of the shots, but not just in the usual charge shot way. It will increase the power of all shots. So you'll be able to... Um, your normal blaster shots will increase, your special weapon shots would increase in power, and your charge shot, it even says, will be able to... Um, You'll be able to charge it up to a double charge shot. A double charge shot. Mm-hmm. I hope it. I hope there's not an over reliance on it because I think, nope. at least my NES playing days, and yeah, I played a couple for the book, or well, reviewed one, but I played a couple. Um, I think the introduction of the charge shot changed the mechanics of the game to the extent that it slowed down the pace because you got to constantly charge shots to, in order to be effective, and that sort of. I, I think they got to find that medium ground. I think sure for not being able to rely upon it so much. Well, I mean, I think that's something that they've sort of addressed in the later entries in the series, 8, 9, you're telling, and 10. You're telling me a lot about Mega Man. Huh? You're telling me a ton about Mega Man. I'm, I'm a connoisseur. <laughs> Fortnite and Mega Man. Those are my two <laughs> specialities. Those, those, those are your fortes. Yeah. Um, you know, 8, 9, and 10 seem to kind of uh, go back on at least the over-reliance on the charge shot. We got rid of the slide, didn't they, in the later one? Didn't they get rid of the slide in 9 or 10? Uh, it wasn't in nine. I know that for sure. I thought they got rid of it because even that they were using too much. I mean, just sliding around it where it sort of defeats the purpose of ten. I can't really recall. So these are boosts that will last for a limited period of time. However, you can use them to slow down obstacles or perhaps falling objects. You could use wow. them to study a pattern. Perhaps. Wow! Wow! The, the address it's like this game's made for Pat. Yeah, that's, they're, that's they're addressing what I'm everything I was right about. See. I was right about it, and it's showing in Mega Man 11. <laughs> Prove Pat right. And you can even activate both of them at the same time to kind of put yourself in an overdrive mode, regain some life. Actually, I think it is called overdrive mode. I mean, that would that would be that would be incredibly clever. Uh, I'm not trying to. I don't see anything about overdrive. No. Yeah. Okay. But you can use both of them, and then. Um, I believe you can't use the re- them for the rest of that level or something. So it's kind of an all or nothing sort of activation mode for the That's level. That's cool. So they're trying something different here for the first time in a long time. The beautiful thing about it, though, is it's absolutely unnecessary to use either of these powers at all in any levels of the game. You 100% do not need to use these ever to beat anything in the game. So it's it's not worked into any of the levels. There's... No puzzling, no figuring out, okay, do I need to... Do I need this weapon for this guy? Or Well, it, not necessarily that. It's just in terms of the gears. No one has to use the slowdown mechanic if they don't want sure. to. Sure, okay. There's, there's, no, there's no situation where things are falling too fast that you can't just go about it in a normal Mega Man way. Okay. You, there's no reason that you would need to increase your power-up. It's there if you want it, if you would like to rely on it. So if you want to just play it like a normal Mega Man... You can, but if you want to use it, there's no penalty to use it to get through the levels. So it, it, it kind of opens the game up to all sorts of different players. And I think that's going to be very important to bringing in people 
who, I mean, this is the first Mega Man game in shit. When was ten released? I don't even remember. Six years ago. Yeah, was I mean, six years? maybe a little. They, they did nine, and they did ten, like, like a year, year and a half later. And then people got sick of it. <laughs> well, Capcom got sick of it. Oh, they got sick of it. Um, Seven years ago. Yeah. So, like I mean, for a lot of people, this might be their first entry into Mega Man or their first reintroduction, and this is a really nice and gentle way, I think, of doing it. I think I, I think it looks interesting. Yeah. I mean, I can honestly say, like, this doesn't look like okay. It looks like a traditional Mega Man game in some aspects, but it it's just different enough that okay. You know, it's not just retreading, obviously, the, the NES look of, of 9 and 10, which I thought was strange to go back to the well twice for that. But, um, no, I think it's, uh, well, they, were, they were just popping off on the nostalgic retro craze that was getting bigger. Right. That's when you know retro was really in, in vogue, whatever, 2010, 11, that it was, they're like, oh, we're going to do this. Yeah, two look. main entries in the series, you know, go back. To... Yeah, they're going back 20 years in time to, to yeah. do that. It was kind Excellent of weird. graphics. Oh, and that's the other thing. There's even, like, in certain modes, like, there's a newcomer, casual, normal, and superhero. Um, some of them don't even give you the one-hit kills if you, you know, touch spikes or something like that. They just, you know, take health off. Giant boss battle on this video. This looks really cool. This does not look like other Mega Man games, to me at least, as being a huge connoisseur of the series. It does not look like a traditional uh, Mega Man game just on the outset. Uh, so, October 2nd. I will. I, you know what? Fuck it. Twenty nine ninety nine. I'm gonna get it. If you're not getting the special editions, I think the physical editions are twenty nine ninety nine. What's in the what's in the special edition? Uh, I know for the at least the Switch one, it's a new Mega Man amiibo, some stickers, some other stuff. So that's gonna cost like a hundred bucks. How much is that gonna cost? Uh, I think that one's forty nine ninety nine. That's not too bad. No, not for not for. Oh, extra there's stuff. A, there's a complete edition in Japan that's gonna cost a hundred and twenty bucks. What? What? There's a smaller nine dollar version. So there's gonna be four versions of this. There's a let's see Japanese version. Looks like it's been a okay ninety dollar edition for Switch and PS4 includes a game, a sixty four page production notebook, thirtieth anniversary keychain, a a piggy bank, a collector's box, and postcards. If you get it from e Capcom store, uh, putting the hundred twenty dollar version will also get you that plus the amiibo, a thirty page starter guide, and a cloth poster. So there's going to be looks like a few different versions of this. Neat. A piggy bank. The piggy bank looks like from this from this uh, leaked image. It looks like it's going to be like a Mega Man head as oh. a piggy bank. That's cute. If you want to, you know, just buy it and never actually use it, just throw some coins in there. You ever? You ever? Did you ever own an actual piggy bank where you have to smash it to get the coins out? Yeah, I have. I have like five or six of them back home. You don't feel bad killing those guys? No. Well, it's just between Ian and I. I don't like killing animals. I never use fake them. or not. I just had my Garfield one. Where you my grandma bought them for me. She, I just had them. All right, so you're you're on board for this. You're going to pick this up for. Well, there wasn't switch. a question about that. No. Excuse me. All right. I'm in. You're you're in. You're, you you love the man. You're in the money. All right. Speaking of money, you know we're you know we're continuing our, our we're, we're the go to world class we're the go to YouTube channel for Fortnite news. We absolutely are. We're taking the world by storm. I feel like we need that. I'm not talking that Fortnite Geostorm. See how much I know about Fortnite? Ooh. Wow. Wow. Oof, dropping that. Whoa. Dropping that hot cake. <laughs> deep as cuts. <laughs> so there's been a leak suggesting suggesting that Fortnite is going to come to Nintendo Switch, according to leaked E3 documents. Uh, sources speaking to Kotaku. Yeah, I mean. The parent port will feature or will include Fortnite's free Battle Royale mode. 
and it's players versus zombies save the world mode or both oh this is interesting this is a giant game a freebie version coming to the switch it seems like it would be uh, a shoe-in i mean it's free to play on everything else it already has a mobile version uh for phones it's not like the switch can't handle this <laughs> yeah i was gonna say i think the switch will be okay with this yeah pretty sure it can handle it and it will kind of take the best of you know the the, the mobile world and console world you'll be able to play on the go play on the is screen this, is this an, a graphically intensive game no so i mean the switch will be able to handle the yeah. pc version yeah and you know you'll have the fun of the portability but you'll have actual controllers to use um, you can kickstand it. You'll have a larger screen. Um, it'll certainly work out better than you know trying to use touch controls or wondering if other people have. I'm not sure if you can, but if you can in the iOS version, use those like clamp-on controllers. You never know who's playing with uh, an advantage or something like that. So this would be advantage. Yeah, this would be probably the first mobile version of Fortnite that I can think of where you would at least feel like everyone was playing on the same level. And not worrying about who might be using something or another that would help them. So there was a leaked image on 4chan with a bunch of other games. And I guess the reason why they deciphered that this is probably real because they found that another game on the list is definitely coming out. So it seems like it's it's a legit image. Which game is the other one on the list? Uh, let's see. Uh, Dragon Ball Fighter Z. Oh, Dragon Ball Fighter Z is coming to the Switch, huh? I know a lot about Dragon Football, too. Oh, well, that's a fucking fantastic <laughs> game. So that's, whew, I'm so, happy. So, I mean, it would make sense. I wonder how Nintendo would feel about a free game potentially, you know, inundating their system and, and taking players' time away. I wonder if there's a, if Nintendo has an incentive, maybe, they're get, maybe they get a cut of uh, the in-game purchase or something like that to make it make sense for them. They must, you know, because otherwise they're using their platform for a free game. Well, sure, yeah. but I mean... Epic uses Sony's platform and Microsoft's platform. But I'm sure they get a cut of. The, they may. The stuff. They have to. I mean, whatever they whatever they they have worked out with with the other companies, they've probably worked out some with of that Nintendo. Sweet Fortnite cash. So I'm I'm thinking about this. You know, obviously the portability factor. You know, we're we're, we're at a convention. We can play in the same room and be in the same team if we do the fifty versus fifty, or just you know, I I I think it's 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 nice. It's yeah. Nice. No, it is. Um, Bonnie's actually really excited because she loves playing like Splatoon and things like that. There aren't a ton of, I think, third-person shooters that maybe seem as immediately approachable as this. A lot of these shooters are, are first-person, especially the ones that are online-focused. So I think this... For a game that always seems so hardcore with how many people talk about it, Fortnite has a very... Very... Oh, there's a very welcoming aspect to it. You jump in, you die in Fortnite, they just usher you right on to another game. They just you push to, you in. You don't you, have to wait around. You wait around for a few seconds, but it's very quickly how they cue you into another game and keep you mo- moving. So they don't force you to stay in the game for 20 minutes and, yeah, and watch. Yeah, right. So, you know, when we heard about that, Bonnie was immediately like, yep, I'm playing it. Other games are going to suffer. It was like, whoa, okay, that quick, huh? Like, Fortnite fever is crazy. Well, that's what I mean. Then. Couldn't that potentially then, wouldn't Nintendo be scared of this game because of that? Like, Because then if, if people go from Splatoon to this, or, you know what I mean? Like, it would well, eat up time. People, like a virus spreading. The people, Fortnite virus. People like to play all sorts of other stuff. Or I maybe, mean, maybe they figure people are playing it anyway on PC or whatever else. It'll just get them onto the Switch. 
or yeah. another incentive to get people on the Switch, like, like, like with Minecraft. We're going to get it on the Switch and then bring some people over that may not have thought about it. Sure, you're using your Switch, you're using your Switch. It's more time the Switch is in your hand, less time you're going to want to put down... Less reason you're going to want to put down the Switch to use another system for other games. It becomes the unit that you care on the most. You know, we care about your unit. Uh, yes, indeed. So this is interesting because going back to Minecraft, you know, they had a special you know, Nintendo version. Will there be a special Nintendo version of Fortnite? Will we be, you know, that could be interesting. Yeah, running around with Mario fucking popping <laughs> off caps. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm not thinking. I don't know if they want uh, Mario, like, shooting bazookas at people. And But well, what if they had, like, I don't know, like, they had, like the, the Mushroom Kingdom level. See, I was thinking that, but with how competitive Fortnite's getting, I highly doubt they'd give you any sort of special map. You don't think so? No. Just for shit and, shits and giggles? I mean, maybe. I just wonder how much people would use a it. A Hyrule level? That wouldn't be oh fun? <laughs> Why not? Riding around on horses? <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking about it. Like, wouldn't that immediately appeal to people? I mean... If it, they were to put a, push them over the edge? It, it would. What, what if they have, like, mushroom power-ups where you just get really big? I'm just... Why not? Oh, I'm not I'm not denying There's, it. It would be fun. I'm, I'm just trying I, to think practically if anyone would actually use it. But it would be oh, amusing. On. That'd be fun. Yeah. Mushroom Kingdom level, you can get a fireball power up, or you get you get a Tanuki suit, and you can fly around with it while you're shooting at people. Come on, I'm in, I'm doing the work for you. I'm thinking of the of, ideas uh, instead of um, instead of Thanos. Yeah, it's Tanuki Mario. Yeah, or or Bowser shows up. You get a Bowser mode. That would be fun. Look, come on, I would play if there was a Bowser. Come mode. on, Nintendo, I'm giving you these ideas. Epic, come on, make it happen, and it's free. We we'll just charge like five bucks for the Mario pack. Get like three stages. The, the, you know, oh, Fortnite charges a lot for their bonus shit. That's I'm where, sure they that's do. Where that's where how the they make their comes billions in. of dollars. Yeah. So they're throwing out hundred million dollars here and there, like it's nothing, like it's like a scratch. It's yeah, fucking it's, shredded cheddar on top of a cement <laughs> yeah, un- under the Epic Games uh, sofa cushion. Yeah, just find a couple million bucks laying down there. All right, so this what is this again? Is it, we don't know until E3 comes out. This is the one E3 thing I'm excited about learning. Maybe no, okay. All right, so this this uh, Battlefield Five uh, announcement trailer came out, um, and Battlefield Five comes off Battlefield One, which was Battlefield World War One, which came out what like two years ago, and that was pretty well regarded, um, and people people loved uh, Battlefield One. It looked cool. World War One was a great setting. So B- Battlefield Five is not World War Five; it's World War Two. But it's the fifth in the series. Oh, Jesus but Christ. they were, but they had a Battlefield 1942 before. Uh, yeah, I think that was like the first one, but not, but not Battlefield One. But not one. Okay, Battlefield Five the, <laughs> is World War Two, and people want to go back to the past. They liked it. With, I think I think people like the simplicity and the authenticity of these of these World War One and Two weapons. I think they just feel better and they're more tactile. Shooting a Tommy gun versus like a laser rifle—that's just what I think about it. I think it's cool having these roughed up, uh, rustic, you know, uh, you know, uh, buildings that are dilapidated and having these cool tanks that, you know, are working off of like gears and shit. I just think there's an appeal to that. Have, right. Having the old uh, World War Two, you know, planes versus flying an F-16. There's just something to the simplicity of it. I think that pe- that appeals to people. It's true. I mean, World War One and Two, like air combat. In, 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 the real dog fighting like that, that that is more interesting to me than versus firing a missile from 10 miles out sure you know and that's basically how air to air comet is now it's not like you're going to get up close and personal a lot of times and firing machine guns at people you're a vulcan cannon 
All right, so the Battlefield Five reveal trailer comes out, um, and it was it was I think was it the, the most downvoted thing on YouTube ever, or close to it? it, it Every time one of these trailers comes out, it becomes the new most downvoted thing. But it, it wasn't well regarded, and I'm trying to piece together, you know, what's going on here. <laughs> three hundred and seven thousand upvotes, three hundred eighty nine thousand downvotes. So. The, the top rated comment is, wow, I've, I've, to, I've to study history again. Not I've got to, I've to study history again. Other top uh, comments are, you play yourself, dislike ratio updated weekly, uh, Battlefield keeps deleting dislikes, shaking my effing head. Um, and then you get into what some people I think have a problem with, but not everyone, but some people. Um, seriously, they put all that effort into adding women into the game, but they forgot about when the Martians made an appearance on the front line. So that's actually pretty funny. <laughs> so, so you have this highly anticipated sequel to Battlefield One, and people are losing their shit. So, what's going on here? When you when you watch when you watch the uh, the trailer, you it's a group of was it three or four? It looks like resistance fighters, or they're on the front line. They they they, they one guy looks like fucking Kratos, by the way. They, they they invade the front line. Uh, they invade this house. It's like house combat. People are getting shot. And within the first 25 seconds, I think this is when people first started flipping out, or, or partially. You have uh, the, the female fighter gets shot, and she has a, what looks like a, not just prosthetic arm, a semi-robotic arm holding the weapon. From there, it goes up into the upstairs. They fight upstairs. It's very fast. It's almost like a it doesn't seem like a World War II game when you're first watching this, at least to me. It's pretty, It's very fast, the action. Two tanks come in. They jump out the fucking window and then shoot at the tanks coming after them. And the woman that got shot is revived with, with uh, a sniper rifle with her, with her interesting arm. And from there, it just goes into the action, and it's fast and furious. you got planes flying in and out. And I just don't... I guess this is not just what people were anticipating. And I think I think the the aspect of of the the woman in it I think I think that's a small part of it, but I don't think that's all of this based it's, upon it's really not though if you looked it's really mostly focusing on the woman aspect it's not a small part of it it's not that small part no okay. I mean if you paid attention to the discourse of it over the past like week and a half it's not a small part it's a big part it's always a big part of it when this shit comes out and then they spend. A week trying to backpedal and explain why that, you know, they're not trying to be dicks about it being women. And then it fizzles out. It, it, it is. People hardly brought up the prosthetic arm. And then they did. And then. That's just me watching the trailer. I noticed that. Sure. That's weird. But that's just weird. That's your take on it, which is a bit more balanced when you bring up the prosthetic arm that looks a bit more futuristic. But that's not their take on it. People were flipping out because there's women in a video game about war where you respawn and regain life when you stand still. That's the controversy. I'm not sure if that's it. I mean, I know that's part of it. Let's put it this way. The, I'm sure there's people that are pissed off just because they put women in the game. There's absolutely people. I'm sure there's people that are pissed off because there's a woman in the game and there's prosthetic arms and plus maybe the tone is all weird throwing that all together. You know, like I said, judging from the trailer, I, I'm not a Battlefield guy. I'm not. I did play Battlefield 1942 way AKA back. Part one. I, I did. I, is part of this that this is jumping away from any sort of realism, and it's all just put together? It's not just 
uh, yes, there there were some women that fought in World War II. Yes, 99.9% were men. We get that, but there were some women. So it's not totally inaccurate to put women in the game. We get that. No women fought on the U.S. line, but they did in other parts of the world. We get that, and in Europe and in Russia. But is it is it just is it just the sum of it that they weren't expecting, or it's like here you go, this is what you got? I mean, yeah, Battlefield Battlefield One had people on horseback riding, trying to attack tanks. You know, like I, yeah, it, I, that, I don't think I'm not sure that happened that often. It's 100 percent not realistic. If it was a dude there with a prosthetic arm, no one would be bitching about it. I, I think you might set no. people upset. Really? Well, then where were the people bitching about people on horseback fighting tanks? Well, well, here's the thing: horseback existed. Uh, robot sure. arms didn't. I, I think that's robot that's, arms that's, didn't, but prosthetic <laughs> arms do. That that's that's a long way from a prosthetic arm from this trail. I mean, just so saying. is someone who has a katana. In I, well, that's why. Well, that's why I mean. I think there's other elements in here where people are, are adding all these parts together. Why is someone in, in Europe have a katana fighting with it? Yes, but when you look at the comments, everyone's first need. Well, not everyone. We're we talking about YouTube comments or, or everywhere else because YouTube is is the worst comments. We're, we're talking about the whole reaction on the internet as a whole. The loudest voices are the people whining and bitching and moaning about women in their video games. Let's see here. I'm, trying, I'm looking at this CNET article, which does which which does take, I think, a nice look at everything going on here. Besides, yes, they're featuring a woman, I guess, on the original image. And, and I don't know if it's the same woman with the... I'm guessing it's the same woman with the, with the robot arm. I can't tell. My question here is, why have we not seen this same amount of outrage over historical accuracy in prior games like this when there has not been a woman prominently featured on the cover in the trailer? What about this one is the last straw? I didn't say this is the last straw. I think this is a sum of all the parts of people. No, I'm saying well, what about like what about this one? I'm not saying to you, but what about this one makes it the last straw? What about this one decided to make everyone go berserk when none of these games have been historically accurate prior? Sure. That's a good point. I think people were also turned off by the fact that like people were jumping from buildings and the action was way quicker than what I would think. Again, I'm going back to my limited experience with, with this franchise where it's more measured versus rushing in and wiping out people real quickly and jumping. You know what I mean? From everything. Then again, that's just a trailer. I'm not sure if that's how the game really is, but usually the reveal trailer shows you what the game is like, gives you a flavor. You know, am I giving people too much the benefit of the doubt here? I think you might be. Okay. I'm just looking at some, some of the tweets. Uh, some people have a problem with uh, the Katana thing. I just think that's weird. I mean, we, we talk about historical accuracy in games. There's a suspension of disbelief when, when it comes to, you know, settings, the historical settings, uh, obviously, the weapons involved. And if, if, if they came out, was this, who's developers, is this DICE doing this? Um, um, yeah, it's DICE. If they came out and basically said, listen, this, we're just using World War II as our playground setting. And we're just going to do all this fucking crazy shit. Have at it. Maybe people would be better prepared for it. I don't know. And they'd be like, okay, fine. Do whatever weapons you want. Do whatever characters you want. Have futuristic stuff. But maybe that's not what people are looking for in in a World War II game. That's why they wanted to go back in time so that they can be more grounded. In, in, in reality, I know, you, I know you're talking about respawns and everything. I'm just saying, though. There's a difference between playing a game, at least to me, like uh, a Battlefield game. And playing a game like Unreal Tournament, which in the name, it's unreal. You're doing shit that humans can't possibly do. Weapons that don't exist. It's futuristic. And maybe the tone they were going for with Battlefield 1 isn't what 
the players weren't necessarily expecting after, excuse me, Battlefield 5 coming off of one. Maybe it was not what they were expecting. Perhaps. I just have to look at the tweet, though, from Oscar Gabrielson here, who, you know. Who? Oscar Gabrielson, who um, he is developer's general manager. He's EA Dice's general manager. The Battlefield Sandbox has always been about playing the way you want, like attempting to fit three players on a galloping horse with flamethrowers. That's from Battlefield 1. <laughs> Can you do... You could do three people on a horse? Screenshot... <laughs> I mean, video of it right here. Well, all right. So... I, I feel like a lot of this... A lot of this stuff... And... Is... Is... People see this... Maybe I'm reading too hard into it, but... I think people I, are going to buy us no matter what. I think... Oh, I, I yeah. think it's online bluster. I, and I think, obviously, you get the worst reaction online. The most sensible people aren't going to react to this stuff online. They're going to buy the game no matter well, what. Well, I think that's a lot of what it is. I think it's bluster. I think people have the I, people who get upset by this sort of stuff, like a woman on the cover of Battlefield Five, or seeing her in the trailer being like, oh, it's not historically accurate. They knee-jerk reaction, and they say, oh, my God, there's this woman in this game, and I don't like that. And then when people start coming for them, then they build the case around why they don't like it. And then they go after this historical inaccuracy and they try to build up the reasons as to why they don't. But when you, and I'm online too much, but when this hit, the immediate reaction was, why is this woman in this game? And then about a day later, then you start seeing all the historical inaccuracy stuff come up. And it just seems like when you look at it, now, as opposed to when the story hit, now you see all of this other stuff in there. But when you watch the story develop, it seems like all of that historical inaccuracy stuff kind of filters in later. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, sure. Like, you know, but you don't think there's people that came to that conclusion separately that just said, I don't there like could the be. There could be. I'm not going to say that there isn't. I mean, I can't deal in absolutes. I mean, that, that's, I'm sure there are people out there who want a, uh, there are. I mean, there's a World War One game called Verdun that's supposed to be incredibly realistic to the point where it's like painful for some people to play it because it's one it's shot, hard. you're dead. Yeah, yeah. But I no, I don't think the majority of the people out there who are bitching about this are are people at home just are teenagers just laying in bed dying for the day they get their super realistic World War Two battle simulator. No, I don't think that that's the case. Okay, that's fair enough. I, I think there's probably some people that were bothered, like I said, by the sum of the whole about, I don't know, the Katana Blade thing is, honestly, that's the weirdest thing of all out of all of it, to me. Seeing a, seeing a, someone in, in Europe having a Katana Blade somehow as their melee weapon is really fucking strange. That, that actually popped out at me when well, I saw it. I was and like, I saw discussions of people bending over backwards trying to explain how a Katana Blade could get there, but not, not why... Have it, but, but, not would... why well, but not why the woman would be in, would, would be in there. And it's like, oh, okay. so that's, that that's when it's like... Okay, that's obvious, though. I'm just saying to me that's strange. I'm gonna pull my but brain out. That's that's more the thing that it's more. It's a combination of me. It's the the prosthetic robot arm, katana blade, but more so the the tone of the action of storming the building like a SWAT team, everyone getting shot real quick and then jumping from the building. That to me is not what World War II action is. When I saw the trailer, I'm like, maybe that upset some people. Maybe it did. Maybe it did. Maybe, maybe I'm overthinking or giving people too much better than that. But that's what I saw when I saw that. That, to me, is not traditional World War II. That's not, to me, allied assault action. You know, where it's, like, pretty grounded. Obviously, you take some liberties. But that, that game, when I saw, is taking liberties 
Uh, but, you know. Risk is the most realistic board game. Risk? Risk. I never got into Risk. I, I, played, into... I played too much Risk. We should do a board game that with Risk. Risk is... You teach me. Risk is ugly. It's, it gets ugly? It's worth, worth a Monopoly? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Too much backstabbing? Yeah. Monopoly, you just... Everyone ends up not playing. You just but it's stop. Flipped. Well, that was the point of the game, is to show the, the bad side of capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> and it and worked. it does. But then it made a ton of money. So, irony. <sighs> right? Capitalism. All right. So, are you, gonna, are you excited for Battlefield 5, 1943, 4, whatever? No, after all this wasted breath, I just don't get... I'm not... I don't play these games. Oh, okay. Well, there, oh, there you go. I'm sure I'll get it. I'll, I'll get the Switch version, which runs at two frames a second. Oof. <laughs> The Switch version won't have a katana. It'll be like a pixel Zelda sword that Nintendo puts in the game. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah, there you go. And instead of that, that'll be Princess Zelda on, on, the, on the cover of it with her prosthetic arm. <laughs> yeah, prosthetic arm. Why not? Okay. Um, Red Dead Redemption 2 is coming out. And much like every other major AAA release, it's going to have a butt-ton of special editions but the most curious of them well this is becoming something that's happening a bit more and more it's always weird is it has a collector's edition box that you can buy that does not come with a copy of the game this is not limited it's not limited it's special and it doesn't not only does it not have a copy of the game it's not just it doesn't have a copy of the physical game it has no copy no of the digital, game no digital whatsoever. Code. None. No digital copy. So That's a huge set. Look, it has a treasure map. It has a, a little treasure chest, little metal box with a so locking key. For your $100, what do you get besides no game? You get, <laughs> you get um, a locking cash box, which uh, looks to be kind of similar to the uh, Grand Theft Auto 4 um footlocker thing that you got oh that's right um you get uh a coin a deck of playing cards a jigsaw puzzle a jigsaw oh you do all right uh a pin set (laughs) a bandana a a map made of unrippable paper i you know what that stuff is totally rippable believe you me uh and it'll include a 150 page reproduction of the in-game merchant supply catalog in addition to a dozen collectible trading cards now i gotta tell you there's a bandana Six shooter bandana. The supply catalog actually sounds cool. I used no, to, that that's that sounds cool. Like an old like Sears one from the eighteen yeah, nineties. I used to go sit in my middle school library where they actually had some of those Sears Roebuck catalogs, like hardbound and protected, and I just sit there and flip through them. They were they were awesome oh, to look at. Oh, did you miss out on the challenge coin? What's a challenge coin? Oh no, I said a coin. There was a coin. What, what's a challenge? What's the difference between a coin and a challenge coin? Challenge coin is what the gentleman from um, the Air Force gave us when we were at the signing. Oh, so it's something you get for accomplishing. It's there. So anyone can print up challenge coins, but they're most common in the military. Okay. And generally they're kind of almost used as I'm going to get this sort of wrong, but someone can correct me. But my, my basic understanding is like, they're a way of commemorating something. Eh, commemorating a meeting or an exchange okay. like so if if you were overseas and you met someone that you really liked and you had like a 
a challenge coin on you, you might swap challenge coins with someone that you met. Or okay. if, um, sometimes presidents have challenge coins met, and if you made, and if you meet the president, sometimes you know, in certain instances, they'll give you a challenge okay. coin to commemorate the meeting. So it's not like as official as like a pin or a commendation. It's just like, oh, it's cool, we did something. Right. So he met us, and you know, he liked us, and he gave us those two challenge. Uh, he gave me a challenge coin. I think he gave you the the two challenge coins. So yeah, challenge coins are are interesting things. And now it seems like they're calling everything a challenge coin, even when it's not. Challenge, you bought this crap. (laughs) It's a challenge coin. Right. The challenge was overspending on our our collector's edition with no game. So you get all that, (laughs) but you don't get a copy of the game. So basically you're looking at a collector's edition that all told would cost you $160. If you get the game on top of it. And that's... And that's because they want you to be able to have your choice of which version you'd like, because then you can go back Jesus and you can buy the Ultimate Edition or the Special Edition okay. or the Regular Edition. So wait, does the Special Edition come with the game? Yes. This is the collector's box. This is just a box with no game, but there's a Special Edition that has the game. There's a Special Edition that that's includes... 80 bucks. That Yes. No. Ultimate Edition... <laughs> So this is so dumb. No, I see a special edition yeah. for 80 and an ultimate for 100. Yes. The collector's box is totally different. Collector's Okay, the special and, and ultimate have the game yes. with other stuff, yes. in-game stuff. Yeah. Like like a special horse or a fucking yeah. outfit or something. What do you get? So Power-ups for damage and awareness, a new outfit for the special edition, access to, early access to a handful of weapons. A like reverse death like the black-coated horse. Like the volcanic pistol. Speaking of uh, prosthetic arms. Does it shoot? Does it shoot volcano rocks? What is that? Do? No idea. <laughs> you'll also, and you'll get the unrippable map, so you can get two. <laughs> okay, then there's the ultimate for a hundred. Okay, you get the special edition stories add-ons, and then you get online stuff like a horse of a different color, a black chestnut race horse with a saddle and match, customizable camp theme, weapons, and a quick jump to online rank twenty-five, and a steel bookcase. And the treasure map for the other versions for a hundred. Okay. So if you want all the goodies, you 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 will be spending two hundred dollars on this game. So basically, the collector's box is not so much an addition. This is sort of a this is sort of a disingenuous heading, but it's it's a it's a up it's a it's a hundred dollar upgrade of extra doohickeys and gugaws. For Red Dead Redemption 2. So they're maximizing their profit because there's no reason why they couldn't just say, okay, for $120, we'll get you the, the collector. We'll, we'll throw up. You're, you're basically getting shit for $100. Yeah. You're getting shit. For the extra $40, you're getting a, a, literally a horse of a different color off the phrase. You're getting uh, power ups, a volcanic pistol, and just the only thing you're getting is the unrippable map. Yeah. Or, or the, oh, you get the steelbook case and, yeah, steelbook case as well. For the $100. Uh-huh. So this is their way of saying, we know you're going to spend $60 in the game no matter what. Here's the way, though. You can potentially spend... You can actually spend, Ian, $200... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, to that's get, insane. To get the Ultimate Edition and to get the Collector's Box, and then you get, you'll get you have two unrippable maps you can sell on eBay for $0.99 cents to, get, to, get, to recoup your costs. You can, you can keep one and then put that claim to the test while trying to rip the other one. Is it just like a rubber sort of thing that you to open pickles up? Is that unrippable? Have you ever little, seen little, those, those, those rubber grips? Have you ever seen those wallets? The, those like paper, the, the paper wallets. Okay. Yeah. Are they really unrippable? Um, provided you don't like, provided that it's all sealed up properly, uh-huh. they're fairly unrippable. Um, but 
No, I mean, if they get a nick in them, you can just tear them right in half. Oh, they're not. That's false advertising. Yeah. All right, so pre orders are up for this. This is weird as fuck to me. That they couldn't just say, okay, for 140 bucks we'll, we'll, for the collector's edition, we'll just we'll throw the digital version of the game in. Well, this is the future liberals want. Um, what? This is a, it's a common phrase online. Oh. It's, it's a joke no. phrase at this point. Uh, so, I mean, we've seen... I've seen collector's editions that have physical stuff in a digital game code. Yeah, like those gigantic like Arkham Asylum statue sets and things like that. Well, more specifically, I'm thinking of like uh, DuckTales... Okay. DuckTales, uh, the, the original DuckTales remaster uh, came with, you could buy, the first time it was released, you could buy it with a case, and it had a digital code inside of it, and, but it had like a, a collector's pin and like a full color instruction manual. Um, the original Sonic Mania limited edition set limited edition. came with the Sonic statue and a little cartridge with a ring in it, but it had a download code. <laughs> a few of the shooters that uh, M2 has been releasing um, in Japan, they would get large collector sets, but it would still be a digital code. But you get all sorts of fun stuff on the side. Okay, this is the first time I've, I, in my opinion or in my mind, that I can remember seeing one where you could essentially buy something that looks like a special edition of a game and not get anything in there. Do you think that'll sell well? That set without the game. You think people will say, okay, I'm going to spend a minimum of $160 to get this cool set, or at most $200? Um, are people still into all the, having this extra junk? I, I, this is a box full of the shit that we put in the free bin when it comes back into us. I hope not, because this is the stuff that generally becomes immediately worthless to anyone who's not hyper-interested in the game. You could buy this, and you could perhaps sell this for money later on, but it's not... You would have to find a well, very specific... Limited. They're right. going to make a ton of these. <laughs> you would have to find a very specific buyer to get rid of this later. Who would not have bought it originally that were into Red Dead Redemption. Right. So that, so you, I would use the bandana to work out. Playing cards, I mean, I probably wouldn't waste those. Playing cards are cheap. You can buy a pack for a buck. Um, cigarette cards, that's pretty cool. Even though you look at them and not worry about it. So, geez, this must take place in the 1890s. So, it looks like they did this with Battlefield. Or it looks like EA did this. Uh, a couple other places have done this before. Um, it says at the bottom of this one article that Electronics Arts and a few others have tried this before, offering an expensive box set separately from the game disc itself. Earlier this year, you could still find the Battlefield 1 set on Woot for a pittance of its original price. Woot.com. Love the woot.com. I used to go on there once in a while. All right, so this is garbage. Yep, it's $100 worth of garbage. I mean, if you want to get into uh, the price to manufacture this stuff, if you want to go that route, you're looking at, I don't know, 15 bucks, 20 bucks probably. To put all that together, you know? I mean, hey, if you were a Red Dead Redemption fan and it was your favorite game in the world you and you're it. all excited, I get it. I don't, I mean, that's least... not a judgment. I just, I don't understand. I just, I don't know how many and, they expect to sell. And at least that shit can fit in the box. So it won't be all scattered around, right? That shit can fit in the box. Let's hope. I mean... What, of course it will. Well, let's no, hope. That's I why mean, it will. Let's... I'm just referring to the... Uh, sometimes the people who pack those things are they, wizards. They, so everything's like, there's not a molecule out of place. Yeah, and getting it all back in there is never going to happen. Once you open Pandora's box, it's, not, it's never going back in. That is true. 
But looking at, I mean, uh, I think you can fit everything in there. Looking at it, challenge coin. Oh, oh, the the little pin set comes in a little like gold little pouch or coin oh. pouch. That's what that. Yeah, that's okay. All right, I you know what I I should like a game like this, in the old old west. I hear they have a female uh, cowgirl with a prosthetic arm in here. Oh Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. All right, Ian. I pushed up the uh, the Pokemon topic before I fall asleep. You got to talk about Pokemon because you know what? I know so little about Pokemon. I'm not going to pretend even to know about it. Like I knew. I know. I know more about Fortnite than I do about Pokemon. All right. I well. Think. I'm going to do my best to not do the series a disservice because I love it on a casual but passionate level. Um, Jeez Louise, Ferguson. Uh, So, there was a Pokemon event and three three new entries into the game were released. Announced. Announced. Yes, announced. Three released in one day. That'd be a momentous occasion for Pokemon fans. I'm going to list them, and then I'm going to run through them real quick. Oh, I'm going to go to sleep. Real quick. Real quick. I'm, I'm going I'm to check uh, check out something real quick. We've got Pokemon Quest, Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee, and the not-to-not-yet-named Pokemon game that's coming out sometime next year in 2019. So... Um, we'll start with Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee, as that's kind of the the big one, the most exciting one. That's the one that's supposed to be coming out, I believe, in ah November. I was going to say October, November sixteenth. This is looks looks to be a pretty easy to um, pretty easy to get into entry in Pokemon somewhere between an actual. Let me watch this trailer. Pokemon game and Let's do this. and. Uh, with, with a lot of uh, things taken from Pokemon Go. Um, it is a sort of spiritual remake of Pokemon Yellow. And depending on which version you buy, you'll either get the starter Pikachu like you would have in Yellow or the starter Eevee like you would have um, like your rival in Pokemon Yellow. It, it uses a Pokemon capture system um, similar to Pokemon Go. In that it uses the same circle closing timing and uh, the ball throwing mechanic from Pokemon Go to uh, capture the critters when you're not running it about. The graphics are bright. They look vibrant. Um, It shows it being fairly easy to play. Um, Pat's grooving to the music a little bit over there. You can uh, play the game with like one Joy-Con. and Two players at a time? Yeah, co-op. That's cool. Uh, getting to that, yeah. The co-op is the part that really excites me. Um, so it looks very laid-back, fun, low stress. Uh, there is obviously connection between Pokemon Go and Let's Go, although not so much as to make it look like you have to play Pokemon Go, which is great because I don't have any interest. <laughs> Pokeball! And, um, and it has co-op. Co-op is the part I think that excites me the most. Um, Vani, for instance, it plays a lot of Pokemon Go. She's excited because it'll uh, it will let her use, you know, some of the stuff she's been working so hard on with Pokemon Go uh, to be used in uh, Let's Go Pikachu. It appears that there's going to be a Pokemon Go uh, Safari Park in uh, Let's Go, which would allow her to 
if I'm getting this right, transfer Pokemon that she's caught into the Safari Park in Let's Go so that they're available there for her to uh, capture. And while there's no online yet, uh, there's the two-player co-op where we could each grab a controller and go Pokehunting together. And that's where I get very excited because Vani's into Go and she likes the main entries. I I, I like the main entries a lot and I find Go interesting, so I'm always paying attention to what she's doing with Go, but I don't play it. This seems like a really neat in-between point where players of the two different, you know, those two different entries could could meet and potentially have a really good time. <coughs> oh, you so talking sorry. about the Pokeball thing? I'm 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 getting there. But yeah, I'm excited about I this. like I like gimmicky <laughs> controllers and the there's a Pokeball Pokeball Plus. That looks like it's going to act a bit like the Go Plus, but also is perhaps a special motion controller for throwing the Pokeball. We can use it for both Pokemon Go and Yeah, so that's going to be cool. I'm excited. Um, It says that there was a three-hour battery life on it, but that was later reported that that was a mistranslation. I think it takes about three hours for it to charge fully. Three hours to charge. Yeah. Um, Okay. So that's good. So, without knowing a whole lot more, the trailer looked a lot of fun to me. No, I, I was grooving. The game looks simple, but so like it has enough. There does not look to be any wild or random battles. Um, you can see Pokemon on the map screen like you could in Go. Um, so, I, even I, even a, a noob like me can sell it. Yeah, they took some elements of Pokemon Go and some of the RPG game, traditional game elements and combined them. You walk around and explore, but you're not, like you said, there's no random battles. And it doesn't look like there's a lot of grinding. It looks like a lot of the building up of Pokemon would be done almost in a ghost style. I'm guessing through um, battling and capturing so, gyms and things like that. So this is brilliant. They come out with this huge fucking app that then they kind of knew this is what our next Pokemon game is going to be. So we're basically training people and teach them how to play this console game. And then sell them a fucking piece of plastic that everyone's going to buy with that either gets this game or or still playing Pokemon Go. Yeah. And, I mean, <laughs> it, it, I, I have some concerns. It'll be interesting to see how they work some of these things into a console game that you play while you're just sitting still. But, I, yeah, I'm ready for this. I, I, I can't wait. Even, even just for the co-op mode, just to sit on the couch with someone and play a game like this. Seems to me like it would be very relaxing and a, a great way to unwind. So your your Pokemon Go app can communicate with your Switch, I guess, to unlock stuff? Yeah. Okay. You can unlock stuff. Um, it seems like there's going to be what's known as like a Safari Park where you or- can dump Pokemon that you've perhaps caught in Go into the Safari Park in so you can play Let's with them Go, okay. and you could perhaps even catch them, re-catch in them. In the game? Yeah. Oh, okay. So perhaps more than what would be in... Uh, this is a remake of Pokemon Yellow. Pokemon Yellow would have had 151 Pokemon. Okay. So, But this would open it up for there being more Pokemon available. So what's the difference between the two versions of this? Let's go Eevee and let's um, go Pikachu. So unlike having three starters to pick from, uh, I said this in the beginning, let's go Pikachu, your starter is Pikachu. Let's go Eevee, your starter is Eevee. Okay, that's a difference. And then slight differences in Pokemon appearance rates, and some will appear in one that won't appear in the other, like any other Pokemon 95% game. the same game. Yeah, just like just okay. like all just of them. like the yellow, gold, uh, yellow, yellow, blue, red. Okay, all so, right. The second one was Pokemon Quest. That's a free to start, 
Nintendo, wink, wink, uh, game um, that's on the Switch. It'll be on phones in late June. Uh, I just started playing it on the Switch. It's cute. It's fun. The graphic style is not as awful as it immediately looked in screenshots. Not as awful. That's a ringing endorsement. <laughs> Jesus, excuse me. Um, it's it's blocky. I mean, it's a simple look, but some of the Pokemon actually look pretty cool, uh, cute and cool like that. It's a uh, mostly touch-based game. You have a little camp, and you set up like a cooking pot, and you can put food in the cooking pot. I can download this now? It's on the phone? No. Oh. I don't think it's on the phone right now. You can check it. I'm pretty sure it said late June. I put it on the Switch, which is also free. Oh. So it's on the Switch yet, but not the phone yet. Okay. Yeah. And when you cook, it draws Pokemon to your camp, your base camp. So you can you can eat them. No, surprisingly. <laughs> you uh, cook them up. You can make like a team Rotisserie. of three, and you take on little quests. And when they go out, your Pokemon, it shows your little Pokemon at the bottom of the screen. And it, each one has a little attack next to it. And when they go out, waves of Pokemon will spawn. And you can guide your Pokemon to the waves. So you can tap, and they just kind of auto-go. Like a very simple, real-time strategy map, almost. And they auto-fight, and you want to pair them up. Basically, you want to pick the right team based on elementals. Each mission will kind of tell you what elementals are going to be fighting you. Okay. And you let them fight. And then you tap when you want to use your special attacks, and you collect loot and then you go back and you cook more food and you do more stuff and it's a grind and it takes you know multiple turns multiple quests to make more food and things like that you can buy dlc that'll give you more cooking pots so you can be cooking more meals at a time once again when the food finishes more pokemon are drawn to you that's how you capture pokemon um oh i love i like the little cute blocky style the the trailer the background music is criminally good Really good. Oh, I, I was like to switch. I went to listen to this. I was playing it in bed the one night, and I had my headphones on, and I put my switch down real quick to check something, and I checked my phone, and when I put my phone down, I just laid there for a minute. And I didn't bother picking the switch back up. <laughs> it was it was very very good. If it's, if it's music in the trailer, it's really good. I think it probably is. I don't know. It was like this looks really interesting. This is. It is. I mean, I have a feeling I'd get sick of it. It's like a real-time action strategy game, looks like, at some points. I have a feeling it doesn't get much deeper than it already is, but I'm going to keep playing it a little bit and see how it goes. At some point, that gameplay loop has got to get... This is old. Old. But I was surprised. It was actually... It was amusing. This looks really cute. It's like a blocky, Minecrafty Pokemon. And then immediately, I mean, of course, I saw it, and I was like, oh, boo, hiss, this is going to be awful. But then I downloaded it, and I was like, oh, all right, this is kind of fun. So it's free free to start. Free to start, and then I think if you wanted to max out, like, all of the DLC that makes sense, like, get all your cooking pots and stuff like that, there's a triple pack of DLC for 30 bucks. That seems like it would basically be all you'd want. Oh, this this article says it's between 5 and 18 bucks for the... I guess that means for each of the packs. Okay. Yeah, you can get the three main packs for twenty nine ninety nine, and that unlocks all the permanent stuff. Oh, that actually looks pretty cool, this little game. I mean... Yeah, I mean, I'll mess around with it a little bit more on its own, and if it holds me, maybe I'll buy some of the DLC. But, you know, for a free-to-play game to check out, it's worth downloading. So, I mean, we, again, Nintendo owns a minority stake in the Pokemon company, so they're going to make a ton of money off of this, no matter what, um, for all these, well, really 
one game with two different versions and with this app. And then lastly, and, yeah, they announced uh, that there's going to be a main entry, uh, a new main entry like Pokemon XY or Sun and Moon coming out latter half of 2019. Nothing else has been mentioned. Um, I think that's a good, a good amount of Pokemon materials to work with, so you should be fine until then. So they've done, you know, in terms of regions, they've done Asia, they've done um, the U.S., they've done uh, Europe, more specifically like France. Uh, uh, Sun and Moon, obviously, was like Pacific Islands, Hawaii. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what region they do. Uh, one big region that they haven't really tackled is um, Africa. That'd be interesting, I think, to see a lot of lot of animal types and stuff that they haven't really giraffe Pokemon. Oh, there's some giraffe Pokemon. Oh, they they have a nice like lion, uh, lion, tiger. But the, anyways, there's a lot of stuff they could work with there that I think would be fun if we could see that. And that's really all I have to say on that one because there's no info. Giant ant eater. You got those? Oh, I'd like that. <laughs> Real quick, anything about that Space World 97 demo? Oh. Pokemon Gold that was dumped, I guess, found and dumped. Nintendo, you had a lot of good ideas in that that you should have kept, so hopefully we'll see some of those. Some of those designs were awesome. And so, so it's a very, very early version of that game. Um, It didn't look, like, crazy early. I mean, there was... I mean, it's not completed, uh, but there was a lot of work in it. And, yeah, a lot of Pokemon designs that were in there were either later changed, scrapped, or introduced later. Um, the skateboard is... Well, Pokemon the... Gold came out, what, November 99? So that's two years before. Okay, yeah, I mean, that's... It's early. It's earlier than I would have thought. Alpha I mean, I, version. Yeah, I, obviously they would have had to have changed a lot before launch. Um, you know, it was. it's kind of been known that skateboard a skateboard was a, uh, a vehicle that they were considering in there um, mm-hmm. that never got made. Uh, there are actually little sprites in there of the of the little guy on the skateboard. Um, that would have been a fun way to go around. Uh, but yeah, I just thought that was neat. So that's all I have to say about Man, Pokemon. Man, I held on better than I thought for a fucking over 12-minute Pokemon topic. Indeed. I did my best. You guys are going to be proud of me. This is, this is as tough as me as a Mega Man topic. You know, out of the range of, of things I, that I try to know, not that I try to know nothing about, but things I never have been exposed to. Pokemon's up there. So, so anyway. I gotta get water. These days, Ian, you can get practically everything you want on demand, just like this CU podcast. You can listen to it whenever you want. You know Movies, what else? Fast food. Yeah, fast food. You can get whenever you want and just digitally stream to your mouth. Well, you know what else you can get? You can get postage on demand for your letters and packages. And you can do that with the most convenient way, and that's stamps.com. That's right, stamps.com. With it, you can access all the amazing services of the post office right from your desk, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, when it's convenient for you. You buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, using your computer and printer. Do you have a computer? Yes, I do. You probably have access to a printer. Then you can print stamps.com postage. You can get the mail carrier to pick it up. You just click. You print, you mail, and you're done. I've used Stamps.com for, for like half a decade now. Going back to uh, Pat the Anus Punk DVDs, wristbands, sending out some CU Podcast t-shirts, some Frank shirts. It's perfect for anything. When I used to do those nice uh, grab bags, 10 games, random uh, mystery yes. box games, I used to do that. And the consoles, My when I used to have the extra Sega CD, somehow consoles and mail those out, Stamps.com. Wonderful. There you go, Stamps.com. So right now there's a special offer. Special offer stamps.com to you guys out there because we love you so much right now you can get via the cu podcast offer 
up to $55 in free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial. How do you do that? You go to stamps.com. Go to stamps.com. Click on their little radio microphone at the top. Type in CU Podcast. Again, you go to stamps.com. Click on the microphone. Enter code CU Podcast, and you get your nice offer there. That's stamps.com. It's the easiest way, most most convenient way to ship out letters. Packages. Packages. Not small children. You don't want to do that. No. You don't want to do that. But anything else, stamps.com is the way to go. Ian. Yes. Sign off and we get a get news about a new piece of NES merchandise that comes to light. Or I guess NES I was gonna say ephemera. This, I think this, this goes beyond merchandise, yeah. Ephemera. I like that word. It's the word of the month. Ephemera. Um, and especially Nintendo World Championships, ephemera. We know we have, you know, I've, I've, been, I've been to conventions where you see ticket stubs and, and the programs and you see the hats and the shirts, and I should have bought that hat when I saw it, and things of that nature, right. little, little stickers. But this is something, the, the NWC controllers, which I had the opportunity to buy one, and I, eh, man, I should have taken that opportunity, but anyway. This, however, is not an NWC card that's been found. It's not an NWC controller. It's an NWC NES console. That's crazy. It's really, really interesting. It came across on Reddit. It seems to be legit. It was found in the the greater Seattle area. So that's where a lot of this shit gets right. found. Because that's where Nintendo is. It comes from someone that used to work at Nintendo a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So when you look at this NES, the first thing you do is you look on the back of it. And it looks like, like a Cat5 cable, like an Ethernet type cable. Yep. Port in the back, riveted in. Looks like some sort of screw rivet job to keep it in there. <laughs> and then when you, there's pictures of it opened up. And then from that, I guess, little old-fashioned Ethernet little port, you can say, wires running to the board, to the actual main uh, board. And the board itself is different as well. It actually has on it Nintendo of America Champ 1 Rev A on it. And it says 1989, which was right before the World Championships in 90. So everything's lining up as to something special. Now you might ask, Pat, what the hell is this? So I guess collectors and people took it for granted not to track one of these down before. According to a thread I saw on on Nintendo Age, there is a collector that might have already had one of these. Mm. So we, we, we always took for granted how they started up multiple competition cards at the same time to start precisely the same time so when the way the power fest worked was that whatever you pay you try out on individual machines and it didn't matter if you were competing against someone else because they were just recording your score to see if you moved on and qualified right you know for the semis but what happens though when you get to the you know to the to the the grand stage when you have three sets of 30 people and you have to compete at the same time you know, how do you how do you start all the machines at the same time? You know, well, this is how you'd have to do that. You'd have to daisy chain together multiple NESs because otherwise on a, on a regular standard NWC card or ROM, the way you start is pressing start on uh, player two controller. So they'd have to rig something to have one controller press start to start multiple machines with multiple cards at the same time. And this is how they did it. It turns out, but no one's really thought about it or tracked this down before here that I've known about. I've never seen one of these before. Heard of this? No, I, I didn't even know about it until you brought it up. What last night, yesterday? So, it's it's amazing how something that wide out in the open that you would you would 
not really think about now comes to light, you know, 30, uh, excuse me, 28 years later, Patmath, that it would come to light where this is how they did it. And it's interesting because now people are trying to uh, put a value on this, which we can get into. But this is almost like the final piece of that NWC puzzle. Because, pal, you can find the freaking track suits that the people were. I almost uh, bought one. You know, the, 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 ones, the one, onesie suits. There's orange and blue ones, I think. There's the hats, like I said. The merchandise. There's the ugly-ass dolls somewhere around here. They sold out the event. You know, uh, like I said, the stickers, the, the little press things. There's the trophies people have. The scoreboards, like little tacked-up things. There's all this merchandise surrounding the Nintendo World Championships uh, and the Power Fest 90 competition. But this is like the, was the missing piece of it. That is pretty much it. Right. This is what they actually on the grand stage would would have played the games in. It's cool. It is. I I mean, how many of these were there? Probably. How many could they have made? They could have made more than forty or fifty of them. Right. They couldn't have. There'd be no need for that many. Nope. Of them, and then some break, and because again, you wouldn't have to use these or high a, a, a huge amount of these at every competition site. You just need it for the for you know for the the last stage of each of the thirty sites, and then you'd have to use them at the at Universal Studios. That's really it, you know. So you wouldn't need to have like I said, the, the average person coming up and playing, every kid doesn't matter if they played at the exact same time as someone else. They just go on the stage and the recording score moving on. But for the head to head, you need these. You would need multiple of these to make it work. So that's cool stuff, right? Yeah. That's wild. Someone on Tenway says paging Game Master Howard to get his word he probably doesn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, guys, I have no idea what was going on. Please uh, just leave me alone now. Uh so this is obviously extremely rare. So do you want do you want to talk about if more will pop up? Do you think you got a couple more out there? Who the hell knows? Where the where the rest of these can be, how many there actually are remaining versus how many they actually you know, did it, uh, a Nintendo Age, the, the person who, who said, how do I acquire this console? Uh, the user who joined Nintendo Age in 2012. Uh, a few weeks ago, my wife responded to an ad on offer up for a GameCube kiosk. The listing stated I'm going to throw in my collection and, and take offers from who can pick it up soonest. Well, that's always a good sign. Included in the ad were pictures of a of kiosk, the GameCube one, and a collection. A couple of tubs of stuff and a Pikachu statue that was pretty rough because I kept outside. The ad was posted in the morning, and later that evening they responded with a meeting place. I would later find out that they had responded to another buyer, but were but we were the first to arrive. So we so we met the, meet the seller. I went through the tub, which included some nice items, Chippendale 2, some sealed Virtual Boy games, a couple of fantastic N64s, consoles, uh, accessories, and games. When we got home, I went through the tubs and sorted in the sorted it back in the tubs and s- stored them in the garage. I hadn't noticed the extra port on the NES yet. So it seems like they just picked up all this shit. So, oh, right. NES, N64 stuff, virtual games. Here's the price. Okay. They get it. So one of the tubs was clear plastic. It was the one that I placed the NES in. The main buying point of this was the GameCube kiosk. It was one of the more uncommon ones that came with the flash screen TV. We worked it on it first, cleaned it up. It was a little dirty. A few days later in my garage, walking by the clear plastic tub. Good thing it was clear. He might have not noticed this forever. Right. That it was there. Um, Jesus. I noticed the extra port on the NES. I did a little research with no findings. I took a few pictures, not noticing the text on the board. I'm blind, sorry. I, I, I then posted it on our local retro gaming Facebook group to get more, try to get more info. I also contacted an expert I met and see, uh, I, I see all the time at the local gaming expos. He didn't have any info on it, but contacted some of his friends who wanted to see more pictures of the board. Someone in the Facebook group had suggested that it could have been used at the NWC 1990. However, without any solid proof, this was just a theory. About a week or more after the purchase, I finally took better pictures of the board that hold the extra port 
and for believe it or not, I did not notice the text on the board. Man, you got to use that magnifying glass. A few days later, I sent the pictures to my expert friend. He noticed the text right away. This was the first time I noticed the text as well. All right. Got to get that prescription upgraded. Uh, <laughs> he said he was sure it was an NWC console. He asked me if it was for sale. I told him not yet and that I would still like to get 100% proof that this was an NWC console. I also posted the new pictures to my original Facebook post when some, where someone was following. I posted another Facebook group, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So th- this has to be it. There's no way this could be faked, first of all, that easily. But with sure. all the story behind it and the providence of it, this this has to be legit. Of course, you could say, oh, someone's going to fake this. But to fake something that never was found before that we knew about would kind of be a risky proposition. Sure, could it be like fake now? Yeah, but the likelihood of someone going through the hassle of that yes. for this? No. So this is, the, you know, this is the cool part about it, at least to me. Now, if you get the guy who supposedly has the other one, you can try this out. You can get, see if it works. <laughs> you can get an NWC cart. You don't even need it. So you get two uh, EverDrives with it. Hook them up with that. Find whatever that exactly looks like an Ethernet type cable. See if it works. Bing. Yeah, just that'd be awesome. Check it out because because it seems like it's wired to the board to to connect to, to communicate with the cart and the controller port and it's I awesome. It. I would want to try to get like as many as possible just to. Watch it happen. Hey, we tried it on the second annual uh, NES marathon. We did, we didn't we, we didn't have this hooked up. We just we tr- we played the two NWC cards next to each other. If you yeah, remember, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have the special N- NES as a do so though. So I'm I'm glad that people were honest with him and said, oh, you know, this is nothing. It's fake. I'll give you twenty bucks for it. <laughs> I'll give you fifty bucks for it. Champ one board. That's interesting. Yep. So they were thinking about this obviously months and months before the the NWC championship. That's crazy. Um. Yeah. Now, what about the value? Oh, God, I don't even want to. I don't care. Who I'm cares? just saying. This, this would probably go for. You can't even. I can't put a price on it. I mean, it's it's tough. It's tough for one of a kind items. It's tough for one of a kind or two of a kind or whatever. Unknown items. It's tough for items that have only been out for, you know, that have only, you know, been made known for is a short period of time. Um, yeah, I, I, have, I, have, I have nothing that I could possibly guess. Well, the controllers, not many of the controllers that exist. If I had to think about how many controllers exist, it has to be less than 15 of them. It's got to be maybe 10 or 12 of the NWC controllers, or as they say, one or two on them. Chris Tang, good old Chris Tang, used to have like three of them. I think he has one left. I think he sold one. I was thinking about buying at the time. I was like, eh. But those usually go between like, I don't know, two grand and three grand, something like that. So that's something that's hard to find in, in a great NWC oh, I car. Remember, I remember seeing those, the controllers. Oh, they're cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen one. I've seen it in person. They're, they're silk printed on the, on the, on the yeah. front. I don't, it's very hard to try to fake one of those. Um, so there's not a lot of those, and that's the closest thing to this, to a console. Sure. Now, that has a cool NWC you know, logo on the controller. This just has an Ethernet port on the back. So when, in the terms of collectability of something, a lot of times it's how does it look. You know, does it look cool? Unfortunately, This yeah. looks like a regular NES when you look at it, unless you turn it around. So if I had to guess if this was past Retro Game Roadshow, I don't know, maybe, maybe you get like seven, eight grand for it. Oh, maybe I, ten. Yeah, I would say more. I'm just, I'm just saying what you, I think you would constantly be able to get from a collector that want to pony up the money. But you know, we'll see. Maybe you get more. Maybe you get fifteen. You know, but it comes down to all these factors: Is it the collectability of it. Um, saying you have one of a kind. How many collectors want to say I own this one of a kind, Pete, or two of a kind, whatever else? Who many? Sure. Who knows if there's others out there? People don't realize it. People, hopefully, people buy at a yard sale and yeah. then realize, hey, what's this little thing in the back there? Hopefully, hopefully, some have been bought and then junked. Right. Start start going all those uh, 
Washington State yard sales and garage sales and Craigslist. It seems like that's the best place to live to get this shit. I wish I lived there. Absolutely. Get those campus challenge carts popping up and NWC carts and Star Fox competition carts that pop up every other fucking year, you know, <laughs> in someone's garage. So, um, yeah. It's, it's cool that something like this. I think you, t- you said to me before, like, it's cool that an NES item comes out of the blue that you don't, you don't know about. Yeah. I mean, that, um, I just don't expect that sort of thing to ever happen anymore. Well, you know, we had the Nintendo, the Nintendo PlayStation prototype a couple years ago, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't expect to find that. Yeah. And this is something else. What, what's True. next? What, what's left that we can possibly think of that, you know, would come out? Is that it? Is there anything missing? No. Is there <laughs> no, there's nothing missing? Well, I'm working on finding out about a certain uh, game with a certain pro wrestling friend of mine trying to track down a ROM or something, but stay tuned on that. Trying to think of something that is the, the mystery of something out there. Yeah, I can't. I mean, then again, well, I mean, there's games that people uh, like the you know the N64 Earthbound people want want that. Yeah, but if it, but it, by nature of the fact that it was something we never knew about, oh, we would not be okay. able to guess. We'll, we'll be able to think about it. Yeah, it's a catch twenty two. It'll just happen. All right, it's an NES catch twenty two. All right. Well, best of luck to uh, the person who decided to sell it. Hold on to it. I think it'd be cool to try to. Like I said, Daisy chained it up to another one to actually get the yeah. experience of doing that. No, there would be but, something satisfying about pressing one button and watching games on like four TVs. But with, with with brilliant people out there like Bunny Boy, maybe they can reverse engineer and create their own little championship board and create their own. Why not? Well, they certainly could, I'm sure. That'd be pretty cool. Then you can actually do it at a, an event without saying, okay, ready? One, two, three, three, three up. Yeah. <laughs> Ian. Yes. You know how much we love game hunting videos in the genre mm-hmm. you know you've heard you've heard of stuff like the game chasers uh retro hunters and uh, flea market madness yes you know you go out you go out in the middle of nowhere you, you find some fucking old ass crusty games and you, you talk about how cool it is to find games no one cares about and then you, you find that yeah and you get good deals get good deals you put up some little funny info boxes and things and have a good old time yeah maybe get in some trouble Maybe some nudity every now and then. I don't know. <laughs> but um, just up like Tigger. So, so Xavier Woods, WWE uh, wrestler, we're, we're like one removed from him since he's good friends with Gerard, who we're friends with. <laughs> I'm not related to Xavier Woods at all. Well, I mean, we, we, we're one be, step in relation nice, to him. It'd be nice to know. <laughs> he's a nice guy. But, but he's really into video games. Sure. And the retro stuff. If you look at uh, him in the New Day group, they do a lot of Final Fantasy references, references to Pokemon, other stuff that they bring in from time to time. And he started a YouTube channel, I think it was three years ago, Up, Up, Down, Down, which is WWE, you know, offshoot sort of YouTube sort of network, but all for video game stuff. I yeah, do. where he plays all sorts of cool video games with different wrestlers. He had like a Sailor Moon episode with um, Sasha Banks and him and Tyler Breeze went through WWE versus SmackDown. Um, I think it was like 2010. 2010 one of them it was one of the the older ones but one of the better older ones yeah they, they, do, a, they do like they do like uh yeah they do little competition things they have a ton of fun with it and it looks like a really good time one and a half million subscribers i remember when it started out when they had like ten thousand subscribers like oh let's see where this goes it you went know. places it went places it should have it was it's 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 entertaining stuff well you know if you're a w wrestler it kind of helps they, they, let's see what's just the ogre challenge versus the the usos what is this what do they do they have a lot of they have a lot of just it, it's it's great because part of the fun of of watching people play games is knowing the people playing the games so mm-hmm. you can get more into it. So if you know the WWE wrestlers, 
uh, already. Uh, one had Alexa Bliss and Braun Strowman in it, so you get to see them sort of, you know, their hair's down. They're they're not in their wrestling character. They can have more be their natural selves, and a lot, a lot of wrestling fans want to see that. They want well, to see behind the scenes stuff too. One of the most fun things I think about watching anyone play games that you only know from something like. Um, wrestling or from movies you know anytime you watch someone who you know you might think of as a celebrity it's it just shows it's a way to watch them i don't know being human you know relaxing having a good time not not putting on a character so to speak right um let's see they've done uh the miz versus austin creed at street fighter 30th anniversary yeah the rollins versus harper at a game there's lots of content uh, Drew Gulak, who is unfortunately not on Raw anymore because he was getting, he was, had an awesome character. So, of course, we'll kill the character and not put you on Raw anymore because that's great. But anyway, so they did this. AJ Styles is the ultimate video game hunter. Retro Styles number one, which is basically the, I guess, Game Chasers version uh, of you mean the WWE, WWE version, version of, of the Game, game Chasers, Chasers. Sure. or Flea Market Madness, where, where they he goes into our, uh, our, his local video game shop. Down, I believe it lives in Georgia. Yeah, Gainesville, Georgia, at Wizards Video Games, and to sort of just look at games and hunt around for them. And it, it did well. It, it did one hundred and seventeen thousand views. Whoa, that's good. Obviously, if you have one and a half million subscribers, you're going to do views on whatever video. But that's good. Uh, it's probably based upon the people. The, the, the intro is cute. The intro is like a little little digitized version of getting in the car and going. Yeah. <laughs> Wish I had those production values on Flea Market Madness. Then he's in the car talking about uh, this. I didn't know AJ Styles. I mean, AJ Styles is is our age. He's like, yeah. actually he's a little older. He's like 39, 40. So he would have grown up with NES maybe and maybe Atari 2600. So I had no idea how much he's into this stuff before. But, you know, he gives it a go. He goes and he checks out. The uh, the game store the, the first few it's funny it's like it's some of it's the worst uh, the worst of the genre I would say like talking in the car on your way to, to going to somewhere where it's like okay you know I guess that's the style of the documentary style of, of going out searching for games but then you know he talks with the, the people at the the um the what is it video, Wizards video games and the, he learns about you know he, he goes through a, a find of a tub it looks like though he's just filming like on a on a smartphone it looks like not which again is is the worst of the genre but it is what it is it's easy to do to do that you know it's got an authentic look to it oh no it's low tech besides besides you know the the, the people behind the scenes putting in the little text box and little 8-bit-ish music in the background of it I don't know what, what are your thoughts I, I thought there were some cute things about it there were some things where I could tell that you know AJ uh, love him as a wrestler doesn't know that that much about some of this stuff but it is what it is. It came across as, uh, I would say, how do I, like genuine uh, in that he definitely does not know everything about the games, but he seemed very excited to see things such as um, Mega Man. Uh, what was impressive to me was uh, there definitely seemed to be, he definitely seemed to know Metal Storm, um, the way the the um, the guy behind the counter said, uh, oh, you passed on this last time. And he was like, yeah, I don't want to miss up, miss on that um, this time. Um, the pricing that they uh, mentioned actually seemed to be very reasonable. I, I'm assuming that when they priced the Mega Man 1, that it was a box complete copy because all of the games in those boxes looked uh, in that tub that was opened looked complete. Um, yeah, I mean... There was a little bit wrong with the, the you know, the Tengen carts, you know, c- calling them bootlegs. I mean, they were they were unlicensed, but 
Honestly, that's that's nitpicking. It's just you're not going to split hairs on uh, calling tension games bootlegs when they weren't bootlegs. I said they they're not. They're unlicensed. Um, I mean, all in all, it's it's another YouTube show out there. It's whether or not he feels like he can, you know, he wants to keep it going. I guess. Well, this it's, is his local store. I wonder if he'll do this on the road on a bunch. Is this a one off yeah. or is, is this? It, a, hey, because, they're they're coming to San Diego. Oh, we're not going to be here then the month. We could have contacted them to come to Luna. <laughs> Um, they're, they're doing they're doing raw here. Oh, he's on SmackDown. That's right. Oh. Actually, actually, Raw's coming here for the first time in forever. I think. But uh, it, it is something that would lend itself well to the traveling schedule of oh, sure. WWE. Uh, I feel like he would need a buddy to go around with. I w- yeah, I'd like someone that knows a bit more versus relying on the people running the stores to explain the stuff to him. I guess that's what I I, I want to say. There was I had no real problems. I do kind of feel like the people who were running the store had a pretty good, pretty good grip on things. I mean, pricing. I, my main thing is pricing in these sorts of videos is always seems to be way, way off. Well, the, well we didn't see the price of what some of the stuff was selling. We were just knowing but what the, the price, what they were telling yeah, us. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm going for. Like that's what I'm saying. Like that didn't seem overly inflated in any way, shape, or form, which was pretty impressive. I wonder. This is the first time you see something like this to a much broader audience, like something like a Flea Market Madness or Game Chasers opening it up to a, a wider audience. People that – most WWE fans probably don't give a shit about collecting retro games, the vast, vast majority. How would they respond to this You know, over time? Would they something they'd get into? Would they be like, oh, is this like watching you know, Antiques Roadshow? Is it, very, is it a niche thing? Would they want to see old video games they never – grew up with or thought about from 30 years ago that's interesting to me to follow to see if people get sick of it or they'd really be interesting uh, interested in it i think they could be I, i'm just thinking about the amount of overlap there is at least through luna of people who are really into pro wrestling and people who are really into retro games and there seems to be a lot of that in you know but when, but when that's you think the opposite though that's is it most retro gamers are into pro wrestling but not well, pro wrestling guys are into retro gaming uh, i don't know uh-huh. Yeah. But I mean, if the whole up, up, down, down concept is working on a whole, but that's general video games, not retro games, though. True. You know, I, th- I think what you, I think that the rule of thumb is that retro video games in general doesn't get the views or clicks, uh, you know, versus modern games. So he's got to go modern with some retro thrown in, obviously, because you have to do that. That's what you like, because you know, Xavier Woods is a guy who is probably around our age or slightly younger, so he's into video game stuff. So, all right. All right, AJ. I'll, I'll take you out the flea market, man. <laughs> we'll go to the flea. You're going to have to get up at 7 in the morning. You can be there at 7 in the morning, AJ. Don't go. Don't go with him. Don't listen to him. Find some good deals. I was. I, I would add this, though. The experience is much different just walking into retro game shops versus going out in the wild. And I think people like the discovery aspect of not knowing what's going to be there. After a while, walking into shop after shop, you kind of know what games are going to be there. Sure. There's not much that's going to surprise you. Maybe like one item in each shop might be unique, but you're not going to be like, oh my God, here's a cool thing. And obviously you're not going to get a deal. That's the other thing too. So if you're looking for the deal stuff, this isn't going to be what you're, what you're after for a series. I'm, I'm trying to give AJ Styles advice about his, uh, his, his, his retro hunting game series. A genre that's been, uh, you know, been, I, I guess you can say it's been played out at this point. <laughs> Since there's so many people that have been doing it after a handful did it and then it blew up because anyone can do it with a smartphone. You know, I, I've been at, I've been at, I don't know who we can bring up, but there's been people that have been following me around at the flea market filming their own series. 
Like, well, that's a, you kind of know it's it's been saturated. Hunting the retro hunters. Hunting the retro hunters. We're going to shoot them down like dogs. Ian, we talked a little about Atari Box info, but uh, the Indiegogo for Atari Box launched after the last podcast. Oh, oh boy. Um, so it's got currently, it's sitting at 2571380 U.S. dollars raised by 9872 Backers who are more than happy to part with their money. 9,898 now. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> wow. All right. So so the the featured um, is the Atari. The featured item is the Atari VCS Collector's Edition. $299, you get the wood drain version, and it's real wood on the front with your little classic joystick. That's the featured perk. 1760 claim that. All right. Yep. So that's 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 the big one, uh, out of out of here. That's the that's the a chunk of them. Uh, you go down. Um, it's not telling how many people got the Onyx, uh, VCS two hundred dollar early bird, but there's only one hundred and seventy nine left. One seventy six. Oh, they're going. going and quick. then you don't know how many are left of the VCS Onyx early plus joystick, which is two hundred twenty nine dollars. And so forth. And then if you, you can get for 279 the Onyx version, which, by the way, just the black one. That's like the Vader version of the Atari VCS that came out later. Right. Um, that's 279 for the black version with the joystick and that generic, you know, gamepad. Right. Modern gamepad with a little red top on it. So then you have the all-in version. Well, there's the all-in Onyx. That's the 279 with the... The joystick and the gamepad, and then the all-in collector's edition. And that's that. You can see how many claim that three. That's that's the big one. Three thousand two hundred fifty-one claim the all-in three hundred thirty-nine dollar version, which is the wood grain version, joystick and gamepad combo. It's insane. So, you want to just run through? Ian? I mean, you want to talk about? Are you surprised by this? Do you want to talk about the reveal? I, the, I, I thought it was very interesting and telling that the video was all men in their mid-40s to early 50s talking about how cool it was to play these games back then and not really discussing Anything. the features of the actual console. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is 100% a, uh, an appeal to nostalgia. They are selling you a box of nostalgia there. They are selling you a memory, and um, that's that's basically it. We still have... Almost no real idea as to what this is going to offer you on a uh, unique on a unique level. You got voice commands to say, "Hey, play Defender." Sure. Or, or you know, or, or play one of the games I could have bought on a flashback the past ten years. That's basically what you're doing. You know, uh, build an open source Linux OS. Okay. It's you can. It, there's streaming Twitch built in in case people want to. So you play your Atari box on, on Twitch? I mean, still right on the front page, they are really touting those 100-plus classic Atari games preloaded on the, uh, the, the VCS. And uh, right at the top, you know, let's, let's really push that we're going to include Centipede without the proper control mechanism to play it. So That is right. You're, you're, when you're right, you're right, Ian. Sometimes you're right. Um, you know, I, all of these, so many of these games, I, I realize that they had the home ports, but, you know, it, it's just... They are selling you a a false memory. You're getting Tempest four thousand. All right. Are you interested in Tempest four thousand? It looks cool. Uh, I mean, I love Tempest, and uh, Jeff Minter does increasingly cooler and better versions of Tempest. But 
I can play other game other other Tempest games elsewhere. I don't I don't no, I don't need to buy a three hundred dollar branded Atari plastic box to play another iteration of Tempest. Well, Tempest, what is it? You can get that on PS4. Tempest four thousand is it on? It's on Steam. Um, I love Tempest. Yeah, I, I love to get an original Tempest machine. I almost bought one back in like two thousand three. That alone cannot justify the three hundred dollar price tag. We are building a distinctly Atari user experience once again. You are playing on heartstrings and emotions. You are you are. Selling, you are not selling substance. You are selling, um, they're, they're selling a look, a style. There's a, there's a little gif they put up of the collection screen of all the games that like you're clicking on the boxes of the games. That that's any any front end has done that the past 15 years, right? For Mame or whatever else. So that's not special. It, that should be a that should be a necessity. I mean, that should be you have to have something like that. You, yeah, you, you bring up the game screen like for Asteroids. You can play it. You can. I guess delete the game and you there's info on there. Ooh, the the box art moves. Okay. Um open and secure platform, customizable. Uh entertainment system connectivity. Yeah, you can get Netflix on it most likely like any other any other box type item the past ten years. AMD Radeon processor. Uh smart home integration. Atari box. Shut off my living room lights. <laughs> okay. Sure. Incredible retro futurist design. When you go back to the video, they spent a good, I'd say, minute of that video talking about getting the like the angles right uh, of the look of the console was the main focus of that video. Well, you can tell. Which I applaud them for. They did the uh, refined silhouette. I have no fucking... 1977? 2017. I have no fucking clue what that means, oh, by the well, way. Well, maybe you can tell me what a holistic ecosystem, no, no raw edges <laughs> means. Real wood uh, front panel. Okay. They got a little piece of thin wood. They slap on the front. Yeah, All right. Veneer. It's a veneer. Yeah, it's a, exactly. It's a veneer. That's fine. The classic joystick that has a couple extra buttons on it that I'm still shocked that... Why not put a second button on there just to Play upgrade a little bit? Play the games the way they were meant to be played, yeah. which most of them weren't meant to be played with the joystick. Well, and that joystick, that original Atari 2600 joystick was adequate. It wasn't great yeah. back then. You know, so something to think about as well. Um, the modern Atari controller, which is any other uh, controller probably off the shelf that you could you know get or close to it. You know, so that it's fine. Like, it's not bad, but it's fine. You got an Ethernet port in the back. You got a micro, micro SD card for whatever. Um... Maybe they're counting on this being used as a, a emulation machine. I have no idea. Yeah, I do know this though. I, not knowing that much about the specs, this isn't that powerful a machine, though. No, you can't the, play modern games on this. We know that the specs are rough right now, and when this is supposed to launch middle of next year, it's going to be even more out of date. Yes, it, I mean that's an obvious statement, what? but it's just going to be like you can probably play like, play like Android apps on here, but nothing like a modern computer games. You don't notice. I don't know. It's just, it's not good. And then they have they have some quotes from people. Atari could have a real winner on its hands. That's Marco uh, Chiapetta from Forbes. Some of these are... Strong. Winning over many Gen X converts, including me. That's Pete Paschal, Paschal from uh, uh, Mashable. I'm pretty sure a lot of these quotes were taken from, like... Press releases. Ages or, and ages ago, Just too. the look of it. Atari's new console is a true all-in-one entertainment system. That's Rob Gordon from Screen, Screen Rant. How do you know that, Rob? We we don't we don't have it in our hands. Four front-facing mic array, Skype, Discord, etc. 
required internet connection, not for classic gaming, but required to access all features. So if you just want to play your 100 built-in Atari games. I'm sure they're going to have a, a, a web store set up in order to buy more Atari games, but honestly, it, how many do they own that are viable besides that 100 that people would, first of all, want to play or no. pay money to play? It's like I always say, it's not that Atari didn't have some good games, but most of their good games were best in the arcade for a lot of reasons. Specialized controllers, specialized cabinets like Battlezone, all of those things helped you know what, Atari's best games in the arcade. You no, know Ian, that's a goddamn good point. Not on consoles. So whenever I talk to people about, say, the Atari in, in stores, when people reminisce about Atari, they're usually reminiscing about Namco or Activision. Or something along the better those games lines. on the console. When they reminisce about Atari, and it's stuff like Missile Command or Centipede or even Pong or Breakout or Tempest, they're they're I, 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 a lot of times it's when we talk about it, we immediately go to the arcade version, not not the home version. You know, we think about Tempest with the spinner. You think about Centipede or Missile Command with the trackball, mm-hmm. you know, Missile Command with its three little tiny buttons on its display panel and things like that that lit up. And and it's just thinking about the Atari games that were made. It's not that the home system wasn't important. It was, and it was great. Asteroids had a unique scheme with five Astro- buttons. Yeah, Asteroids has never converted particularly well to a controller. It's not uh, terrible on the 2600, but it's not the no. same experience. It just isn't. It so, also looks like ass compared to the arcade. It's... This is it, it. Nostalgia when it comes to Atari has always been something that's been fairly tricky uh, to me when I've thought about it. And yeah, I, I I don't know. I just don't think that a lot of people will be happy when they realize that a lot of wires have gotten crossed in their brains when they finally oh. see what they have. Oh yes, when they when they get this system and they they're excited about their hundred built-in games that they all could have gotten off of various flashbacks before and they realize some of them are tic-tac-toe like, and 3D chess yes, or like the fucking backgammon or whatever the, you know the, the basic games. Yeah. They're going to be like where's yeah, like you said where where's Pac-Man? Where's Pitfall? Right. Unless they get the rights to that and get it on there. Which, and they could, but it, it's just... Oh, they ain't getting Pac-Man. Well, I don't think Namco has anything to do with them. But <laughs> they'll be able to get the Activision ones as they had before. Right. You know? But that brings up a good point. What if this became a box? Instead of focusing on the original 2600, what if you did multiple versions of games or got the 5200 games on there? Or you, or you did the, the arcade ROMs instead? Why not feature that? Because that's not easy. Is that the answer? It's not easy. We would need different controllers or something a little bit better than just a one-button joystick. I, I mean, it's. I feel like it's a little bit more sinister than that. It's. It's. I. I, I can't picture. I mean, playing Tempest with a that joy. You can't play it with the fucking controller. You, the joystick. You can. Oh, Tempest is real rough with a with a joystick. joystick. With with the with the pad and using the R and left to go faster. Maybe. With but an analog still, stick, it's playable. The analog stick is playable because you can nudge and adjust. Sure, um, but no, I mean, why? Look at this. Why would they need to put the effort in to get the fifty-two hundred versions of games on here, or get the arcade ROMs on here when they? Can well, they say, own them. I mean, they can well, easily no, put them on. But why? Why put the effort? Why on? bother? You're why right. bother when the one hundred this... game pack is already available out there on Steam and other such things? And they probably did not have to do a whole lot of work to just dump those one hundred games again. On, onto a 
on, onto a, a PC in a box. The game list, I can't, I can't find the game list on this page. I don't think they have one. But they have, when you look at the, the you see like Adventure, Asteroids, Sword Quest, Waterworld, Crystal Castle, Centipede, this is from the screen, Tempest, Gravatar, Missile Command, Battlezone, Yars Revenge, Ninja Golf, Combat, Breakout, uh, fuck, it's moving. There's like, they only show about 20 games. Um, but these are the games that you want to play. You might actually want to play that. That's like 20, 25% of them. Right. The other, like you said, 75% of the other ones are going to be the ones that no one want to play. Yeah. Like sea battle or whatever, you know, like really simple ones that might be cute to play for a minute or two. You're like, okay, at this point it's like playing a tiger LCD handheld. You like, you get rid of it. Where's the list of games? You think, you think it's just... I, I don't think they post. I, I honestly think I read somewhere that they have not posted one yet. I cannot get over the fact that they got so much into designing the look of this system and having to make sure the lines were correct and the angles. And that's the selling point of this. But hey, you know what? Fuck me. It worked. And I never, and I never, I never said this was going to fail, by the way. Oh, no. I was fairly certain that it was going to work. I'm just, it's not going to be good. Oh, no. Once it comes out, it's going to be used for a week. Or two weeks, or you know, or people, maybe people will be happy they spent three hundred dollars or two fifty on something that they could have spent fifty bucks on going to their Walmart and buying a flashback for. Yeah, I mean, or maybe people don't give a shit. Maybe there's some charm into having running Netflix off of your your retro wood grained forty year old looking item, and that's the appeal. I will say this though, I do not see anyone buying this outside of the people that are going to get the Kickstarter. I do not see this being something you can put in Toys R Us and selling for $250. Or, or is Toys R Us anymore? In Target or in Best Buy. Absolutely not. No one will buy it. Yeah, I don't think GameStop is going to be stocking this on the shelf next to Switches. So this is it. They can talk about their, they can, they can their quote-unquote partners they're bringing on board, their development partners, studio partners. But I guarantee you, you're not going to see any, any uh, exclusive Atari VCS titles because that would be... That would be the worst idea in the fucking world to do that. Yeah, I, I mean, and that—that's the thing. This has its market, but rooted in this. It has its market rooted in nostalgia. As soon as you were to, I think, grab one of these, millipede, and actually put it in a video game retail store, just say a GameStop. If you put this on a shelf next to a PlayStation Four, a Nintendo Switch, and an Xbox One. And you ask someone with a fistful of dollars to go spend it wisely and buy a game system, and there are no eyes watching anyone, and and no one's going to judge a purchase. There's nostalgia doesn't matter, collector cred, none of it matters. No one's going to buy the Atari box. No. So this market is not this is I this is not being marketed to people who play games. This no, is, the games is, the games weren't even the focus of the. This is being marketed to people who have a nostalgia fetish and want something that resembles an Atari console they, they got, that they, they can turn on. They got the director of, of Twitch to talk about his experience playing Atari games. So they this is a slick, slickly produced promo video, but anyone can do that. You can get people on board and say, hey, you talk about your experience playing Atari. Sure. Sure, I can talk about that. Here, here, play play the demo of it. But it's not... This is where it's going to live and then die, is this campaign and once it comes out, they're going to get rich. But the, but they're well. We'll see what happens if they actually can can meet the expectations. 
I mean, it. at this point, I feel like it's it, 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 it's We're gonna it's, have to. it's more being sold as a slightly functional piece of art than anything. I mean, so much of this is going to sit on a on the top of a entertainment system that is meticulously dusted once a day, and it's never going to get touched. That's actually not not a bad point about this could be someone. Oh, it's just a piece of art. You're right. This is a retro ish item that harkens back to an actual retro item that's actually functional. So we won't put out the old VCS. We'll put out the new VCS. So we can actually use it as a lark. We can play Netflix on it. Does this do anything? Oh yeah, I let's can turn it on. Because no one's going to have a fucking party and say, let's break out the Atari VCS and let's play Warlords on these uh, 40-year-old style joysticks. People who want to do that already have the setup available to do that. Yes. And they have a better setup than what this provides. Yep. Versus booting it on. Because fucking Warlords is great. It's another one where you you have a nice spinner controller for. You need a good spinner controller for Warlords. They should have put out a fucking spinner controller. At the very least, they should have put out some goddamn paddles. Fucking paddles. No, I'm done. Let's put it this way. I will get one of these in four years when they're at the flea market. For 20 bucks. Covered in fucking cheese sauce and chamoy. Just (laughs) fucking crumbs all around them. Or who knows? Maybe it'll become an aftermarket collectible because they're not going to sell that many more once the release date actually hits. They'll sell them off the website direct. They'll put them on Amazon. They won't sell that many. So... I, I have no predictions for that or it's just it continues to be the the it's like I said way back when we first talked about it. The most interesting thing about it is its look and that continues to be the only thing that will probably ever be interesting about it. You might put your penis on penis on with something. Might slap one around with it. <laughs> All right. So speaking of nostalgia, um Tommy Tallarico. Tommy Tallarico, finger cage, guy makes good video game music. Very nice guy. I've met him multiple times. He, he's he been on the video game years. He's a big Intellivision fan. Yep. So he's become the president of Intellivision in the wake of, of Keith Robinson's death. He's, he's come in. Um, and he wants to make a new Intellivision console. They put out a press release. Industry veteran Tommy Tallarico named president of Intellivision Entertainment and joins forces with original Intellivision team members. Please, Tommy, no. <laughs> Intellivision Entertainment is proud to announce that it will bring the concept of simple, affordable, family, and fun back into homes across the world with the introduction of a brand new home video game console. The original Intellivision system generated many firsts in the video game industry, including the first 16-bit gaming machine, which I'm, is true. But I'm no just pulling did. something. Okay, there. The first something. gaming console to offer digital distribution. Um, I guess for like a modem, I'm guessing. That's all I can think of. The first to bring speech voice to games. Well, Odyssey 2 did it around the same time, but I guess, all right. The first to license professional sports leagues and organizations, as covered on the video game years, and the first to be a dedicated game console and home computer. Originally released in 79, due to its popularity, it was remarkable, remarkably retailed. I've never heard that phrase before. Remarkably, remarkably retailed, retailed across three decades. Well, I guess they're including the flashbacks. Yeah. Of 10 years ago. I don't remember it being sold in the 90s. And, and quickly <laughs> sold millions of units. The new... I don't forget, like, in television, like, you know, classic packs, PlayStation. Oh, okay. That's what they mean. All right. The new, which didn't sell well at all, probably. I'm just saying. But, I yes. mean, if I have to okay. reach for a straw, well, 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 there, there it is. I, I, I like Tommy. So I'm giving the benefit <laughs> of the doubt. Uh, the new Intellivision system will carry on the company tradition of first with its new concept design. You're just reading a, a, a product reading release. The, because that's, yeah, I'm reading the press release because that's all we have right now. Well, no, we've got an interview with them, too. Oh, we do. Okay. So, 
So Tommy <laughs> says some things. Tommy, can you hear me? Tommy, can you hear me? Um, it, it's his favorite system because the, he says it was always his favorite system because the games were cutting edge and fun and simple to play so our entire, entire family could enjoy them together. I find those important elements to generally be lacking from our industry with the current modern games consoles. Our goal is to change that by focusing on bringing all age groups and level of gamers and non-gamers together while introducing new generations of people to the legacy of success of the Intellivision brand. Look. No. (laughs) Nintendo. Like, how how do you miss Nintendo? Nintendo is what he just described. Nintendo is that company that brings family and friends together under the banner of fun. It's the Disney. With games that are accessible for everyone. That's what he wants to do. And I realized for marketing, you know, a person has to pretend like what they're talking about has never existed before. Mm -hmm. But Nintendo, I mean, that's... You can't you can't pretend like Nintendo exists and then try to make a new Nintendo like it's 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 going to happen. Nintendo, like you said, is the Disney of video games, and it's admirable that he wants to do this because there isn't really Sony doesn't really focus on family games. No. Microsoft doesn't focus on family games. Um, this Atari box is not focusing on family; it's focusing on forty year olds, forty year olds, fifty year olds, fifty five year olds. So, it, it's I, I, okay. Sure, it does seem like there's that market because I have this conversation with parents all the time in the store. Can you help me find some games for the PlayStation for my five year old? I'll do my best, but yeah, that's going to be tough. Can you find something that I can play with my kids? I'll I'll do my best. Yeah, a lot of those systems don't, but Nintendo is that answer to that problem. And television is not well known enough, and I. Yeah, I like Tommy too, but to go back on it, I mean, I can't necessarily be soft on it just because it's Tommy. No, it it's, can't. it's just I, it's the same thing the, as the Atari box. We, we there, it's creating a pro, it's creating a solution for well, a problem that does not exist. Well, it's worse than the Atari box because, unlike the Atari twenty six hundred, the Intellivision does not have a personality. Right. It's it's the techno, like I guess what first second generation whatever. It was like the the technically superior less popular version of what was out there. It was like the master system. Sure. Potentially. To the NES. To the NES. You know, you make some arguments that NES was superior in some ways technically. But the library of the Intellivision blows. Uh, I think the library of the Intellivision uh, has great games. Fantastic games. They're not memorable. They're not marketable. That's part of the reason why it failed. Well, they don't I'm have, about, a, they don't have I'm, nostalgic I'm value. talking about the Mattel games. That showed up on there. Like, the first party games. Hmm. What, what were the big Intellivision first party games that people would still want to play today? Night Stalker? Like, what are they? Oh, Utopia is fun. Dracula is fun. Okay. I think I own Dracula. Hard to find game. Lock and Chase. Lock and- Good version of it. Good version of Burger Time. Good version but, of games that weren't first party games. Sure, I, that's I, what I mean. The, the personality. But I mean, we're going back to the same problem though with Atari. Where we've got, good, but it's worse there's... than Atari's though, because Atari, you can say they were they had arcade smashes on the system that were first party games, and television didn't. Uh, all I'm saying is, I I don't think the library was garbage. It, it's equally as garbage as the Atari library is awful too. 
But um, what I'm saying is it's not a marketable no, library. No, marketable it's not. I'm just That's... saying I'm arguing purely on playability. Okay, okay. And television games are uh, fun. Sure, I'm not saying I'm not saying you can't play marketing. No, you can't market in television games. There's no, there's nothing to you market. You can't market the system. No, you can't. That that I don't disagree with you on. I'm, I'm it's, saying it's like marketing. The, it's like trying to market the Odyssey too. Yeah. Oh, I agree with you there. It, it's it, it's sort of like okay, it, we know the television running man. I see some people wearing t-shirts of that, and that's where a lot of people's knowledge of of television starts and ends. Stops. Sure. Is the Intellivision Running Man. And that's really when you talk about the Intellivision. And that's how they marketed it mm-hmm. back then. Animation. Animation, technically superior, but not necessarily a fun thing. Like Mr. George Plimpton uh, talking about, Mr. Plimpton talking about, well, you have no, you have a full baseball team on the field here. And you don't on Atari. And it's like, well, gee, thanks, guy in a gray suit that's 65 years old telling me about this game <laughs> system. So even back then, they were marketing it towards like as the superior technology, but that doesn't necessarily equate into being more fun or something people want to buy. Yeah. You know? No, I get it. So, uh, I'm not to say they can't put out... Obviously, they saw, even before, they, they knew the Atari box was coming and say we can do our own television box, obviously. We can do the same thing. No one should have looked at the Atari box and gone, I can do this too. They can. But to do it with the Intellivision... Yes, the Intellivision sold a bunch well, back yes. then. No, no one. But, I'm, I'm not saying no. I'm, you're going to get arrested. I'm saying no one should have looked at it and been like, "This is a great idea." But if they if they say they do fifteen thousand pre-orders of of the Atari box, they'll do one thousand of the Intellivision box. The scale of popularity back then it was closer to one to one, but now thirty five years later, it's fifty to one. You know, of terms of, of notoriety the and, and popularity. The only way you can sell this sort of stuff is nostalgia. And there's more nostalgia for Atari than there is in television. There's That's tons it. more. Because because Atari is a recognizable name to even younger people in some aspects. And television has been pretty much lost to time. Well, yeah. It's been lost. And that's no fault on the library of games. That's just the reality of what's happened. Oh, yeah. The Intellivision is the man. It's gonna say is it, is it is it even comparing like the Ballyastricade to the twenty six hundred? How no one's even remembered the Ballyastricade anymore, you know? And that was a technically fine machine. It's just that there's just people. It's been lost. the The awful controller doesn't help, by the way. But I mean, it, what regardless of the price point he wants to put it at, regardless of the you know at least you know nice sounding intentions of you know making it appeal to family. Um, he even says, you know, it even says uh, in the interview that I had on my phone. I don't know where I found Is it. Is it the from. Venture Beat article? Yeah, Venture Beat. Okay. Um, you know, uh, it talks about. Um, I'm not trying to also discount Tommy's experience with, and I because again, he it says he's in all those in television video game year topics. Um, it says, uh, yo, you know, it's not. It makes no bold claims about it being able to play modern games, mm-hmm. but then. When you out and out say that, then you start getting into like retro VGS and chameleon territory on the question of no, I don't mean that in terms I of know. like a ripoff. I just mean then what's the point? Who are your developers? Yeah. Who are you going to get on board? How are you going to get people to limit themselves to this development ecosystem? This is this is the I you, guess the... you can't. 
and I guess Tommy realizes this stuff. He's not a dumb guy. Um, obviously not many people under 30 know what, what it was. It doesn't have as big a name as Atari, but the idea is to bring it into the 21st century for all those people who don't know what shark shark is or Astro smash. I do love Astro smash. Astro smash isn't a bad game at all. That's fucking fantastic. But people aren't going to be interested in playing it. No. I mean, that's just the bottom line. You know what I mean? Like it's for games of that era and age. You know, we're not even talking like early NES. We're talking stuff like Astro Smash or, or lesser known games, even even perhaps like Adventure and, and you know stuff on Atari. Um, to get people to want to play something that is at this point younger people, I think especially that is more simplistic. I like Astro Smash. It's a fun score attack game with risk These are reward. Forty year old games, but I think there has to be a hook of of recognizability. Yeah. There's no mascots. There's no good marketing they did back then for it. The artwork was kind of similar to, to the simplified version of the of the Atari sort of painted artwork. It was a simplified version of that. It was like probably like the kitty version of that. If you put Asteroids, Astro Smash, or Space Invaders in front of me, I would actually pick Astro Smash. If you put that in front of anyone else, like anyone probably 20 or under, 25 or under, chances are likely that it would probably go I mean, I'm just thinking about this now. It'd go Space Invaders, Asteroids, Astro Smash. There's no way, you know, it, it's just, it doesn't so, stand a chance regardless of how good of a game it is. So the the so the, the, the flashbacks have been available for a while. Uh, we know that. So I'm not saying the Intellivision brand has zero value. Obviously, they have some value. They sell some game packs. You can, you know, they still sell, I think they still sell, yeah, they still sell the flashbacks in stores, don't they? Uh, ColecoVision ones they still sell. Atari's obviously they still sell. They still Television Lives is on Nintendo DS. There's there's been like ten different consoles where the pack of games have been on. Going back to what PlayStation was it on? Was it even on GameCube? Do they have a GameCube one? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So these games have been out there. So it, it's just drawing in. Geez, it's not even your father drawing you in. It's going to be your your great uncle drawing you into Intellivision games, drawing a ten year old in because right. your father didn't play him at this point. Yeah, your father didn't. Your father played the NES or Super Nintendo. I mean, that's how time is progressing at this point. You know, that's my expression. Not everyone dies. <laughs> Not everyone dies. Um, so I guess we'll have to come back in a year or so when they have this ready to go. But it's going to be a lot. It's going to be the same sort of points we made about the Atari VCS or Atari Box, but just to a lesser degree of notoriety and visibility that will make it, I'd say a much less chance of, of success than any Atari box could yeah. possibly do, be. And that's not to say, like I said, Tommy, he's a big uh, television fan. He is. But there's only so much uh, love of something can get, you can, how can you expand it to a market 40 years later? 40 years later, this had no exposure to it at all forever. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like this is less, there's, I feel like the intent is more genuine behind this i just it's the intent is genuine but that's not going to work but it, to it doesn't it doesn't yeah you it might re- just you might as well just sell nostalgia like the atari box it really doesn't matter what anyone's intent is with these there's no after we've seen so many of them there's no it, it's just it's not gonna there's no appeal to either that or with the atari box, like the atari box it's going to be an instantaneous cash grab if it works and then probably no longevity after and we have to do two Patreon poll topics since we forgot last time we overlooked them. So the the poll topic from a couple weeks ago 
was uh, a study that was done. This one, I guess people wanted us to get into the nitty gritty of this. We'll, we'll try to do it like in five, six minutes. Uh, a study done for uh, strong French, strong friendships mitigate depression associated with excessive video gaming in, in teens. So yeah, this was a cool, um, this was, this is a really neat um, study done in the Netherlands. So we had talked about on the podcast before about how they were um, thinking about uh, um, clinically uh, classifying uh, video game addiction as a mental disorder. Sure. Uh, and they were talking about, you know, depression and, you know, all the sorts of side effects and whatnot about that. And this study essentially aimed um, to see if, you know, was this really sort of, uh, is this really because of video games? Is this because of a, a real genuine addictive like qualities? Or is it maybe just because, you know, you, you end up kind of secluded or, or by yourself uh, when you're playing them? And maybe it's a lack of social interaction and stuff like that. Well, they did the study, and people who play a ton of video games or excessive video games um, more than four hours a day, uh, if they're staying socially engaged with other people, it actually shows that those behaviors, that depression, the addiction-like qualities, uh, are actually much lessened when they are um, doing so while also engaging in Twitter, Skype, Facebook, Discord, or any other sort of um, uh, social network uh, that allows them to stay connected with other people. And this does not surprise me at all. Um, it's, you know, a lot of times we look at how, um, you know, we look at video games and stuff like that and how the world changes. And, you know, we were, when we were young, this sort of stuff wasn't around as much or prevalent. And it's easy to look at someone who's younger and doesn't want to go out and socialize or feels... Um, you know, it feels socially outcast, perhaps, you know, we're like, oh, you got to get off your ass, you got to do this. And sure, it probably would be good. But at the same point in time, socializing is the big important thing. And these networks that allow people to do it, it's good that they're there, even if perhaps they are spending too much time inside playing games. It allows them to still form friendships. And what the study really shows is, the importance of friendships and having people that you can talk to when you need to is really one of the most important things, perhaps even more so than what your hobby is or, you know, where you do it. Do you go out and do you socialize via sports? Do you socialize via video games? Where are you socializing? Let's give the background of the methodology. I think we did that. So the researcher Calder Karras and her colleagues analyzed 2009 to 2012 data from the annual Monitor Internet and Youth Study, a school-based survey of nearly 10,000 teenagers across the Netherlands. Researchers asked the teens about how often they play video games, use social media and instant messaging, and about their friendships. The survey also had the teens answer questions about addictive behaviors, including whether they feel they can stop gaming if they want to and whether they get irritable if, if they're not playing. While only Dutch teens participated in the survey, Colder Karras, which is an awesome name, it's like mm-hmm. a superhero name, Colder Karras and her colleagues believe that the responses would likely be similar to teens in other developed nations such as the U.S. So, I mean, it's not shocking that if you have a social group or ties, you'll, you'll most likely be less depressed. Um, I, think, I think the mistake people get 
get when it comes to video games is that they they look at causation versus correlation. And if you excessively play video games, that doesn't necessarily mean that that'll make you depressed. But if you're depressed, you might be drawn to excessive video gaming because it's 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 secluded and that's just what you're comfortable with and you get sort of just locked in. So that to me is common sense. So it's obviously it doesn't cause it, but that type person might be prone to be stuck playing ex- uh, video games for a long period of time. That's natural. That could happen. Sure. And obviously, if you're talking to people, either on a social network, instant messaging, you're going to feel better about yourself because you're not alone. So that mitigates depression. Depression can be a, a feeling of of loneliness. Obviously. So what's good is that it doesn't. Yeah, they even said that in the, in the article. Uh, their findings could inform organizations such as the World Health Organization and the American Psychiatric Association that have proposed making internet gaming disorder a condition that would be on par with disorders relating to substance abuse and pathological gambling. And again, it's uh, gaming's not causing this. Right. It shatters that quite clearly um, by something as simple as introducing a social network. Oh, it's gone. And you don't destroy drug addiction by introducing a social network there usually is some sort of a network when it comes to sure. bar, like alcoholism and bars or, or stuff like that yes so it's it i when people talk about stuff like video game addiction it's 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 scare tactics from people who yes. don't understand what those, the fuck they're talking those are about those individuals probably already have a condition or problem right and they're just playing a lot because that's the only thing that's their only way of existing right it's like watching tons of tv that used to be what it is. Oh, you're you're rotting your brain watching you know eight hours of TV. A brain, or you know, back in the day, what was what was that used to be the thing? You say, oh, well, you know, it's you don't hear about it as much anymore, probably because it changed society. But yeah, it used to be we'd be like, oh, the housewives that watch six hours of soap operas every day, like that's mm-hmm. all they would do. Like my mom used to get stuck watching soap operas for hours at a time, and that probably wasn't the best for her. Yes, it was entertaining, but how much of that can you take before it affects your brain? You right. Know? <laughs> like, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the soap operas caused it. How I always I always talk about though about there are addictive qualities to some sort of games, and, and there, there is some games are a lot more addictive than others. That's something I think that can be looked at separately, and I think that drawing in types of personalities to addictive gameplay uh, gameplay elements that is something I think too that that definitely exists. I, I definitely think that there are types of uh, personalities that are probably drawn into. You know, playing a game like World of Warcraft, which requires a lot more of your time and consistency. It's not something you can easily walk away from. You, you feel tethered to it. So I think that's something we have to remember as well. There's there's too many different types of gaming. It's, to me, it's almost like too many types of, you know, of, of I guess, dr- I guess you can say different types of drugs. Like some are, are a lot more addictive than others. Um, some aren't addictive at all, you know, psychologically. So it's like, it's, what are you getting at? Are you getting, is, are you getting the high of, of joy of playing a game, or do you feel like you have to be constantly playing the game in order to subsist? You know what I mean? Like it was, it was like, it was like, uh, my sister's ex had to do those like world of Warcraft, uh, you know, whatever the clan fucking thing. You, you had to be there every Tuesday and Saturday at that time. Yeah. But I still had to feel be like there. that's more personality than game. Sure. But some games play into, I think the personality types involved with that. Mm. I, I feel at least. I think there, I think there are games that might be able to prey upon it. Not saying that's an uh, an overt goal, but obviously they know that some personalities are more susceptible to addictive qualities uh, or OCD or gambling. And some games have elements of that. Absolutely, there's some games that uh, you have to grind away constantly do, and do repetitive actions, and then maybe that can feed into someone's OCD. Or there's gambling elements to some games. A lot of people are very susceptible to gambling; they can't stop. It's like anything else. 
Sure. But this is a nice study. Uh, it's promising. And, uh, well, here's to our here's to our, the CEO Podcast patrons for wanting to dig in a little bit to a nice yeah. meaty topic, right? Not just not just boobs and ass. That'll be the next topic, boobs and ass. No. <laughs> <laughs> so the second Patreon poll topic. And by the way, Ian, how do you access the CU Podcast Patreon? I think you got it. I'm confident. Go to patreon.com slash CU Podcast. Mm, yep. clockwork. Yep. Got it. Got it. Got it. So... The uh, the three topics for the the last one were let me go to it real quick. What the three topics were? One got flushed away. One did awfully after rising up and, and it was hanging in there and got flushed away. So we had what was the topics here? Oh man, I got to log in to see it. Anyway, the winning one Ian, was by a landslide. What what should you do, the general you, about retro game stores selling counterfeit games? So, I don't know that there's a whole lot you can do. This is what I would suggest doing. You see one that's counterfeit, and it's not labeled. Even if it's labeled, I still think that that's very problematic. But, first thing you do is point it out. I mean, counterfeits are meant to be passed off as legit. Mm -hmm. Um people who work in game stores especially independent game stores are generally trained to uh, be able to tell the difference um but you know you can't assume just because you spot a counterfeit in a store that they're necessarily trying to get one over on you sure but so, there are for, also stores yes, that i'm clearly... getting there i'm getting there so first thing you do if you've seen one in a store that you haven't been in before or if you're not certain is you know probably kindly point out and be like hey i don't think that's legitimate or I want to take a look at that. Do you mind if I check the board or do you mind if I take a look at it and see? And if you have a concern, maybe just mention it. And Uh, and maybe educate them. Yeah. If they don't know. A lot of people have asked us to open up expensive games before. Earthbounds, you know, other games. uh, We just sold like a stunt racer. And, um, you know, we've had some uh, expensive N64 titles in. And, you know, people ask us to open those games. We always open them. We open them when they come in. We have no problem doing that. Uh, So, you know, these are things that you should probably expect your local store to be okay with, you know, especially if you're buying something expensive or rare or that is, you know, prone or it could be that that could likely be counterfeited. Um, if you see it regularly, you, just, you fucking, I mean, if, if this is something that they are known to do and they are trying to pass them off, you, you don't fucking go. Um, I don't know it's so hard. I mean, it's disgusting. You put that place on blast, but legally you look around today and you look at places like eBay and shit. And it's like, well, you can't get these places shut down for selling them. You know, could you try to make a call to a law enforcement agency? I guess, but no one's going to do anything. No one's going to, no one fucking cares. It has to be a high price item. Yeah. For them to even care. They would, they're not going to give a shit. So yeah. basically you just spread the information. You want to make sure that these people are absolutely in the know that they are doing it because you don't want to destroy a business, but you have to, you know, you want to make sure that that's known. I don't know of a lot of stores, despite that a lot of people have this fear. I get, I get emails every now and then and pictures saying that my store is selling them. I do. 
every I, now and then. Very few people have brought that up to me. I've seen places where people are knowingly selling reproduction cards and saying that they're selling reproduction cards. That's the cards. same thing, though. There's well, counterfeits. Yes. That's different than trying to pass it off as a legit copy to someone, which is my first topic, um, which is my first part. That's That's something that I don't see. I've never seen... I don't know that I've seen a store legitimately try to pass a reproduction off as a legit article. I'm sure we'll get people in the comments saying my store's done it. I'm sure and we'll see that. And that's awful, and I wish there was more you could do for it. As far as people who are selling reproductions, um, you simply turn around and you don't give them the business. And people who are doing that, those are people you put on blast. Those are people, the people who are knowingly selling reproductions, I'd say just don't give them your business and make sure people know that they are doing so. Because that you can, that's verifiable. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, oh, that's yeah, why I'm, it's that, on the label. That's it says, why I'm, that's, it says repro, which, which is, again, it's, it's a counterfeit. That's why, but I'm separating the two for a reason. If someone accidentally is selling a repro and you assume they're doing it to get one over on you, they may not be and you could ruin their business. I don't know of any store that has been found out for trying to purposely screw people over. Now, if a store is actually selling repros and they say, because I've seen this plenty of fucking times, uh, authentic board reproduction label, blah, blah, blah. That's just a store you don't go support. And then yeah, you spread that around. We're talking about different degrees of, of, of lying. I no, guess, at that you're point. Ta I'm talking about a person who didn't know there was one versus people who are actively trying to sell them. They're telling you that they're selling them, and they're still selling them. I don't think either either scenario is right, especially if you point out to someone that this is most likely a counterfeit. Yes, and then they take, take it, it off the shelf. But if they don't, and they still have it or continue to do it... Pat, you completely missed what I said. I'm right. talking about the person. If you find someone who has one, and you know what it is, and it's counterfeit, and you just put them on blast without telling anyone about it and assume that they're just selling counterfeits. I don't think anyone would do that. I think you would sell. I think most people, the messages I get from people or have is that I've told the seller either they took it away. Lots of or, people are knee jerk. Or, or, or some, they don't care and leave it out. Well, then, yeah. Then you put them on blast. I'm talking about people who may go into a store and just assume. Oh, I don't think most people, I think, I think most people at least I've communicate with are reasonable and they may think that not everyone knows the same thing. Because a lot of retro game sellers don't have knowledge of a lot of the collectors that come in and be like, okay, this is this and this is that. It's just so much knowledge between different between different consoles and game libraries, obviously. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, they're, they're both bad situations. But, yeah. I But I will say this, though. That there, you could get in a situation where you can have stores play dumb and be like, well, we didn't know it was. But, they, but then again, you're guessing their state of mind. And you can't. It's hard to do that. It's hard to guess what... Their state of mind is taking in a, 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 a repro and selling it for the full price, knowing that it's a, you know, a counterfeit. Well, that's what I'm saying. If you see this become a repeat problem, yes, you hear oh, absolutely. other people, then that's a different if thing. If you see like three or four times where yeah. there's like a Flintstones dinosaur peak or a little sense where you're like, that looks like shit and that's if counterfeit. If you constantly keep catching bootleg Pokemon in some store's thing and, yeah, you've mentioned it to them before, well, then, then they're obviously trying to pass off $15 you know, Pokemon cartridges for, or, you know, $5 Pokemon cartridges for 25 or 30. Sure. That's that, different. That, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that's not as egregious as the hundreds of dollars of games. And plus they, that's a lot easier to tell just on the outset, how awful those little Samson fucking labels are. But if people example. are trying to pass off counterfeits, it's more often you're going to find it in stuff like that. In this day and age. I don't know this day, this day and age. 
with the amount of Alibaba express carts out there now. Um, it's funny that someone, by the way, this was a landslide. This was 58%. We've never had one that, 59%. We've never had a vote that high, I think, really? for the topic. Uh, 22% retro game loot crates. Can they work? And then 19% what constitutes a complete retro video game. We'll bring those both back. Those are both viable topics. But a comment from Ben said, the winning question will piss Ian off. Love it. And then Brad uh, responded, my thoughts exactly, Ben. Why would you get pissed at this topic? I wouldn't. It's something that we actively fight against. <laughs> I thought it meant like just the, the, the gall of maybe game store owners doing it. would. Piss oh, yeah. No, I mean, it, it, it definitely does. Whenever someone sends me um, a, a tweet about that, it, it's, it's, it's enraging. Like there was one that someone sent me and it was, uh, it was, um, it, it was, it was, I think it was Flintstones Dinosaur Peak and it had a label next to it. And it was in like a case on a stand uh-huh. and it said Flintstones Dinosaur Peak grade A minus. Okay. They graded it on an A minus. And, and it said, and it said A minus and it was, they had it up there for like $689 or something like that or 750 or something. It was ridiculous. It was, it was maybe even higher. And it was, uh, and the description was authentic case. It was, it was. Uh, uh, cartridge condition, um, like it was like pristine. Uh, uh, board is authentic, in amazing shape. Uh, label is perfect, but is a reproduction. So, the, so the game wasn't counterfeit. The label was counterfeit. Yeah, so that's another territory. Uh, yeah, part of it's. But authentic. it's just how do you call it an A plus? Well, no, it, no. It, what kills me is because we've had this conversation this on is a, comics this is an, before. This is an offshoot conversation. Well, not really. It's still no, but this, that, that's not a that's not technically a counterfeit game. Okay. It's it's a reproduction art on a real game. It's okay. Another conversation. That's another. That could be another. This topic. still falls into the shit that people send still me shitty. from stores that drives me nuts. Yeah, if you want to, I always said it should be treated like a poor condition comic. That's how I always say, a poor condition comic with a repro. It's worth like one percent of the actual price. Yeah. Or whatever it is. You, you can get an expensive, amazing uh, Fantasy 15 first appearance of Spider-Man. That's usually worth, let's say the comic's usually worth 15 grand. You throw a repro cover on it, it's now worth $100, $150. And that's how it works. Because it reduces the quality of it to nothing at that point. You're actually making it worse by, by putting on a fake versus having no cover. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. You might as well, have, you might as well scratch off that fucking fake label. And it would have been better off. Mm-hmm. That's how I look at it. And that's how, the, that's how that's usually looked at, I think, in uh, collectibles markets. That's how they look at it. That's another. That'll be the next time I see you podcast uh, Patreon. Patreon.com says see you podcast. I almost screwed up. <laughs> I, I mean, at this point, some of those those fakes are, they just don't feel right. The counter, the actual counterfeits. I, I wonder how they even get into stores. People trade them in. And the sellers don't know or care. Or the, no, or, I mean, at this point, what I'm saying is I feel like that the answer must be they don't care. If only someone put out new licensed old video games. Only if they did that in the future. Q&A time. Well, you did. I am 8-Bit is doing that essentially with the... I mean, that's a that's a licensed official run of game of a game. Q&A time on the CU podcast. Uh, this is from at Smash Senpai. Uh, actually, you were supposed to ask this. Okay. <laughs> uh, yep. All right, Ian asks. You mentioned that you prefer the front loader NES. You want to say the... ask a question? Uh, Brandon Clayton, <laughs> Brandon Clayton at Smash Senpai asks, 
You mentioned that you prefer the front loader NES to the top loader. Why is that? Well, going back to my age-old argument with Norm. This might be Norm asking this. The top loader NES has some flaws. So the top loader, I'll just get out of the way. The only advantage to the top loader is the fact that you won't get dirt on your board pin connector. Because it's covered up, comes in, in and out, won't bend because there's no mechanism to push it down and bend the connector pin. That's really where the advantages end for me, uh, for that. It fires uh, up a bit quicker. That's it. If your games aren't clean. Potentially. Because the pin and the board might be clean. Yeah. Might. But you should still clean your games. Yes. So, But you can still get that pin board dirty, too. Mm-hmm. So there's no composite AV output on a front loader, first of all. So you're going to get... on a top loader. Excuse me, on a, excuse me, on a top loader. So you're going to get a fuzzier image on your CRT TV no matter what to begin with. It's just going to be fuzzier. It's going to look like ass. And I know that was good back in 1986, 87, but even then a lot of TVs had your composite hmm. uh, you know, red and yellow AVs uh, for that. So that's the first part. Uh, second of all, a lot of times, I don't think that the RF, I think even shielding was done it was kind of shoddy on some of those top loaders. On almost all of them, you get so, the faint, you get the faint jail bar lines, which so, drive me insane. Imagine playing Super Mario Brothers, and you have lines across the screen that looks like they're embedded in the in the graphics of the game. It looks terrible, and you say faint. In some, it's it's some it's worse, where it's heavy. It depends on the color, the the colors of the background and uh, the yeah. foreground. So you have a distracting bullshit on on your image now that you're playing. And third, so they did. So they took out the lockout chip. That's cool. So then you won't get, um, you know, the lockout chip potentially firing and get. And that's what the blinking light is. The blinking light. But that's if you're if you're if it's dirty. If your game's dirty, you'll get the blinking the blinking, you know, color. But if it's clean, you still might get it blinking with the game on, which means sometimes it's off a little bit or the lockout chip's not firing properly. But usually it doesn't happen. You usually press reset, and usually it takes takes care of it on a front loader. But un- but taking out the lockout chip, though, has another side effect that most people don't give a shit about, but I do. You can't play some original NES games without a lockout chip. You can't play some of the unlicensed uh, Comerica games, some of the AVE games, games like Action 52. They look for the lockout chip to bypass it. If you don't have the lockout chip, they can never bypass it. You can't play it, like Coltron 6-1, games like that. So if you don't give a shit about that, if you're only playing your licensed games, that's fine. But you're, you're getting rid of... a some dozens of games potentially playing the top loader. So when you run through all those scenarios, I'm like, well, what are the advantages of it? And to me, there really then at that point really aren't any besides, yes, the pin's cleaner overall. And that's, and that's it for me. Uh, I actually prefer the, the front loader to the top loader as well. Um, the lockout chip stuff is important, but that's not my huge issue. Um, the the lack of AV out is annoying, but really, uh, some people don't really notice the lines at all. Some people it drives them nuts. The jail bars. Yeah, yeah. I've oh, had I've had three or four top loaders, and every single one I've gotten rid of because the jail bar lines drive me insane. Once I saw them, I I, I, I I couldn't unsee them on some games. Or an, it's like from level to level. Like if you play through Mario, Super Mario Brothers, um, some of the levels they're not as noticeable. Some of the levels they are far more noticeable. But it's something that, and this might just be me. I realize it's fine for lots of people who love the top loader, but I can't 
stop looking for them. I can't stop looking for them. And, and it, it, it just, it kills me. And the effect's interesting because it, it'll scroll with the screen, so it's like it's a part of the game. It becomes a part of a game. It's yeah. really fucking weird. Yeah, it's very strange. It almost it brings like this 3D effect. It's, you know, it's yeah, some background. of the lines that they do, they almost, <laughs> they look like, when you set it embedded, it's very accurate. It, some of them actually look set into the graphics of the game. Yeah, it's not like the jail bars are overlaid on top. They're like inside the background. It's yeah. really weird. It's so, of course, if you can always say, well, get your top loader modded yes you can do that and, and if you get a good job it'll get rid of the jail bars i think and then you'll get the a the av out you can do that and then at that point i'm just like well f- my top load my front loader is working just fine exactly it's yes it's bulkier yeah we get it the so, one of the big benefits though and i will say this and this is something that always comes to me too late is um the one of the nice benefits of the top loader is with an adapter uh, you can play a lot more Famicom games without issues because you don't have to worry about the, the okay. tall carts, the high carts. You don't um, worry about the ribbon shit, pull it out, yeah, things like that. It, it okay. is easier to play Famicom cartridges on the top loader. So Get that honeybee out there. There is that going for it. I haven't found my honeybee yet. just realized that. God, I feel, I feel lonely in this place in Castle Country. All, All right. right. <laughs> so uh, the at Reno Collector. Now that Sony uh, announced that they're officially stopping production of Vita cards, is the Vita dead after this year or will it live on? Uh, I think there's always going to be a fan base for the Vita. I I mean, I'm a fan of the Neo Geo Pocket Color, and I know other people who are too, and we still play it. When we meet up, we'll hang out and play the Neo Geo Pocket Color. I actually might be playing some Neo Geo Pocket Color with a friend tomorrow. So, um, I really might be tomorrow. Um, So, I think the Vita... I mean, dead in terms of a fan base? No, absolutely not. But yeah, if Sony's done with carts, uh, I think the Vita's dead. Uh, I was thinking about the other day, and when limited run games started producing Switch games, in my mind, I felt like that was a gentle way of sort of passing the torch and slowly saying goodbye to the uh the vita um in that long family goodbye sort of way that takes you know three to four hours you know at thanksgiving saying goodbye to my family takes forever it's why i don't say goodbye at parties anymore i just do the irish goodbye you just leave the tokyo sayonara expression comes from uh yeah i've seen it before with some irish that just left dinner and i was like where'd they go i uh (laughs) i know i I seriously i did it's a it's a tactic I learned from my family. I go up to the host. I say, hey, thanks for having me. Everything was great. And I fucking walk out the front door and I don't say goodbye to anyone else. Um, however, that's that's what I sort of got when they started putting out the Switch games. It just seemed like that was maybe the end of an era. Well, they kept the Vita alive. Limited they runs. did. And it was fantastic. And it was great. And, you Another know, pull and plug. What, what they did was <laughs> amazing. But there's there's. The Vita fan base was set in stone. They were selling to the same audience. The Switch fan base is growing. And I think a lot of people in some ways are... They have the same sort of feeling in a way about the Switch that they do about the Vita. It's portable. It's actually making It's actually making good on that promise of being played on the TV screen. It's got a lot of indies and devel- indie developers supporting it. And it just seems like where, you know, a lot of that's going to go. 
so since a lot of the Vita fan base and Vita collectors are focused on that sort of thing, and since Limited Run had such a huge such a huge part in that, I kind of think that if you watch what Limited Run does with the Vita, I think that's going to dictate a lot of what happens with the Vita. So even watching them diversify and then watching Sony, you know, say that they're done with the cartridges, yeah, I think that's it. I think I think the Vita's finished by the end of this year. According to Wikipedia, there was 15 million sold as of last year, uh, Vita's in its lifespan. It's not bad. Pretty good. Pretty good for a system that failed, you know? It's better than the Wii U. It is better than the Wii U. It's not fucking saying much. <laughs> Seven-year lifespan? I mean, for a portable? I but, mean, okay, that's not a lot for over a, por- a seven-year lifespan if we're talking a console, but for a portable, that was a failure over here. How much did the links sell? I'm trying to like it for the links. <laughs> oh, man, we don't need to... Those. Poor Lynx. Lynx sold three million. Okay. Well, it's a, it's a bad for the plucky little Lynx. I like the Lynx. So it it beat the Lynx five times. Yeah, but I mean, it was retail availability was six years for Lynx. I don't know about that. I think by a couple years in, it was sort of like, well, find them at your uh, at your odd lot. I wish I could remember who it was. Um, a lot of people. It was. I think it was someone I follow, not someone that had been retweeted into my timeline. But there was a. Uh, one of those old Marlboro points, uh, Marlboro Miles catalogs. There was, yeah, there was a there was a Marlboro branded links. Oh yeah, the times. I have to find that. That, that, that that'd be like my, my holy grail. I think. <laughs> I think it would be. Fucking pull up in two weeks. You'll be out front dressed as a cowboy. Three I'll, cigarettes I'll jacket, in your mouth. All the Marlboro points jacket yeah. on. I'll be playing it. Oh god. So yeah, real quick though, you know, I think the the. Uh, the Switch has become the new Vita, kind of, I guess you can say, in yeah. some aspects. Yeah, my friend Chris and I were talking about it, Windy, Windy Gaming Chris. And I, you Windy know, Chris. We'll call him yeah, Windy, Windy Chris. That's what I usually call him, Windy Chris. Um, yeah, in a lot of ways, it, I think it has. Some less tangible than others, but in, there's there's a few direct comparisons that I think work. I'm looking at Marlboro Lynx. I want to get one of these. Probably, probably made like a few hundred of them, though. Probably, not, probably pretty hard to find. Well, everyone died after they got him. Fucking Woof. emphysema. So, Woof, I mean, Pat. <laughs> what? <laughs> they got to play one game of California games before, <laughs> before dusting off their mortal coil. Are we done here? Uh, one more, Ian. I added this one. Uh, Jesus, another... Okay. <laughs> Just, all right, we're ready for Pat to blow himself. Um, Brandon M. No. Velasquez asks, <laughs> Pat becomes a AAA YouTuber overnight. Like like baseball? Um, how does this affect the channel? Does this increase the sales of a certain guidebook? I thought, wait, are you a AAA? Is he asking if no, you no, are or saying, saying you are? What if I became, I guess, a grade A 5 million subscriber YouTuber overnight? Grade A fancy catcher. First of all, I don't know how that would happen with this fucking shitty content I'm putting out. First of all, I don't know how that would happen. But how would that affect the channel? Well, I would probably have... Would have Brand opportunities thrown at me left and right, like sort of pushing them off. You know what I mean? Like I'm like I'm a like a I'm a baseball uh, player at a bar fending off a potential you know b- baby mamas. You know that's basically how it would happen. Because women think, throw themselves at baseball players, I often should, known to be the most attractive. Sports I should have said basketball players. <laughs> Sean Kemp and his fucking fifteen, eighteen. Children with 13 different women thing. Basketball That's what I men said. are the hot men. Yes. I should have said that one. 
uh, they actually have forum groups talking about where sports stars are going to be that that women go on. It's, it's amazing. Anyway, yeah, uh, <laughs> to hunt it down. But anyway, that's how it would be with brands. I would they would mobile games. AAA publishers would come after me all the time. So instead of us having you know sponsored by Dollar Shave Club, one dollar, dollarshaveclub.com slash cu shave. Humble twin, my pick. Instead of that, we'd be hawking shitty mobile games. At least I would be because it'd be like fifteen thousand dollar brand deals I couldn't turn down in order to put out fucking shitty spots about you know. Well, this uh, portion of the CU podcast sponsored by Battle of Elves. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it would be like that. Is that a real I, game? If it isn't, someone just made it in China, and it's coming out on Android next week. <laughs> Speaking of apps, I won't get into my app situation because it's ridiculous. That'll be the next podcast, Jerry. But anyway, um, so it would be tons of that because you would have to – see, it's one thing to say about my brand grew as a AAA, you know, like Let's Player or Streamer. But to have it thrust upon you, it would almost be like it wouldn't fit. Because a certain YouTube style comes with being a triple A or I say whatever million plus YouTuber. You have a certain style. You have a certain content schedule. You are locked into that content. You can't really deviate from it because that's what your bread and butter is. You can't really be experimental because your fans won't want that. So the Jacksepticeyes of the world, and you know, and and the Markipliers, they have their bread and butter. They have their you know their their streaming and their. They're, they're let's play stuff, and that's what they're stuck with, so they get brand deals based upon it. So in order to say, like, well, you have a podcast and Flea Market Madness, how would it change? I don't know because I will never get a million people interested in watching Flea Market Madness. So it's a hard, anachronistic question almost to ask. It's not even anachronistic. It just doesn't seem to fit the mold. But will I go and, like, dye my hair a certain color? Because that's what you do when you get 5 million uh, subscribers. I don't know if I'll do that. I was going to dye my hair, like, five years ago if I had a day job. Um, but... I don't know. Does it increase sales of a certain NES guidebook? No, because the the, uh, the the teenager crowd won't buy an NES book. They won't buy a book in general. So that wouldn't sell to them, to be honest. I mean, it, I probably wouldn't overall. Now, if I put out a book like, well, Pat's YouTube career, The Glitz and Glamour, and put out that book, that might sell to people. You know, I'd just buy, like, wicked tall platform boots. They'd be so cool. I'd be, like, 10 feet high. Oh, who, who, who said you'd stay around, around for the rest? Oh, I, no, I'm saying if I became a AAA YouTuber. Oh, if you became a AAA yeah, YouTuber? Not, not talking about you. What content would you do? If you knew anyone would watch whatever you would do and you would get a million views per video. I would sit in a room with synthesizers and make music all day. So it'd be like, your, is that really your dream then? To be like performing live in front of people? Yeah, just making. At the, at the Parthenon? Just making music. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not doing Yanni live. Being live with the part on the spinning. I, I, I would just with your TB three hundred three. I would just make music. I, I do have a three. Well, I have a. Do you have a three hundred three? I have a three hundred three knockoff. Is it? Does it sound pretty good? Yeah, that was always the thing about knockoffs. It never sounded exactly that. That. Wah, 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 no, sound. I have a three hundred three. really good. I actually just got my. Uh, my brother shipped me my MC five hundred five, and it got to me yesterday. I haven't seen it in thirteen years. Do you have an 808 laying around? I have a. I'm, I have a. We're going have, into the realm of. Like, I have a. Music. I have a. I have a 808 knockoff. A good 808 knockoff that also emulates the 909, the 707, the 727, and the 606. I don't know what the 727 is. I've never heard of that. 727 one. is basically the Miami Sound Machine. It's oh. it's a it's a um, Latin rhythm uh, version of the 707. We'll talk more about. Ian and I's binding over electronic music in a future CU podcast. <laughs> I don't know how we went on this tangent. 
Uh, but my, my small career in electronic music, I never really talk about because it's semi-embarrassing. But, um, but I sold some CDs back then. I'll listen to a track maybe eventually, never. Um, anyway, so that's how it affect the sales. But, I, but you know what? Uh, you know, you guys would have nice bumpers of mobile games every podcast. I mean, that's how it would change. <laughs> All right. Ian and I are going to be at Too Many Games June 22nd to Too 24th. Too many games. Too many games. We're on the same flight going. So that'll be fun meeting up. Uh, Ian and I, we fly out together. It's, it's usually fun. He pretends to be my friend at those and sit kind of next to me at the at the at the, at the gate. Um, I have my morning beer. Your morning beer. It's always good to have that. Get get the liver going right away. Kickstart it. Kickstart it with those toxins. It's fantastic. Um, other than that, we got the tenth anniversary of the NES Punk coming up. Um, Holy but, shit! How long have we recorded for? A long fucking time. Because two well, hours. Well, you got here an hour late, so that's probably no. But I'm, I'm still saying. I mean, we, two hours, two and two and a half, almost two and a half. Wow. Um, and then, uh, other than that, certain NES guidebook at ultimatenes.com, and then the Super Nintendo book is, is two thirds through. I think I said that in the you intro. Did in the intro. So just but to remind people, nail it on the outro. I have to because I have competition, so I gotta oh, pound them into the ground. Make sure with my. Smaller than average fist. I got small hands. So That's huge. That's so why I can't play basketball. I can never palm the ball or dribble well or shoot well. Rebound. I was good at boxing out and stealing and blocking for my size. Anyway, uh, this is what happens with the fourteen ten fasting. And uh, I didn't munch an RX bar though. I, I stuck through it. So that was the start of it. And now I'm getting used to it. I'm getting used to this fast. I'm gonna get that Hugh Jackman eight pack in a couple weeks. Uh, so for Ian Ferguson, for me, I'm uh. I'm Pat. You're Pat. I'm Pat, and uh, we're yeah. done. We're done? We're done. All right. By the way, real quick, you know I have too many games. We're not Speaking done. Speaking of too many games, I was putting up the N64 games on the shelf. Um, I have two, two of a game on their play. It's supposed to be pretty good. Aiding, it's aiding not Chronicles. supposed to be good at it's all. It's not supposed to be good? No, it's supposed to be miserable. Like, I have, well, the I have, worst. I have two of them. Okay. And I, and I know that when I bought the second one, I knew I had one, but it was not listed on my, on my uh, Google Drive. App that I had it. Pick so, it up from Pat. At uh, too too many, many games. games. I will bring this, and I might bring my extra Buster Douglas uh, Master System. It's the cursed Chris Kohler version that passed along to me. That was too crappy, and I couldn't find the manual, so I bought a new one. So it's, it's going to be passed along. Are you ever going to be able to not mention Chris Kohler no. in the episode? No. Okay. The we're, curse of Chris Kohler. We're done. Bye, Chris. <laughs> Bye, Chris. <laughs> Signing out, Chris. <laughs>